previously on AFTN. So it's, it's second full season. Anyway. It was red-shirted uh, for the first year. <laughs> there you go. Um, but Steve, in tremendous wisdom. I agree with you there. Like, as much as you want to get young referees experience. I want to use that for the clip for next week. <laughs> 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 Hey, 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 everybody, and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, on CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I am Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And we will be joined by Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. He is en route. We waited for him. He's still not here. We thought, hey, what the hell, let's just start anyway. Because we have such a packed show to get through, episode 342 of the podcast. So much to talk about, it's just been such a busy week. We're going to talk MLS, CPL, USL, BC Soccer, the world of soccer. Got a couple of interviews for you. International competition. Probably dissect tonight's Game of Thrones as well. Just so much stuff to talk about. I'm kind of running on fumes just now. I've been up since seven watching football this morning. Well, that's, that's early for you. That's very early for me. Watched, obviously, the Premiership games, then Newport County. Fantastic game. Wasn't on DAZN. The only game that's not on DAZN of all the English players, oh, really? Newport County. <laughs> so watched it on a stream. Now, now, after 120 minutes, the best now, now you would see. 35 shots on target in the 90 minutes. Wow. Shots cleared off the line. Woodwork hit three times. Uh, uh, tremendous saves. It's an, if you can catch this game, yeah, it's I'm going to try to find the highlights for that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and then the CPL, Tasis Rovers kicked their season off. Was commentating that this afternoon. Provincial Cup final. All the games are kind of blurring into one. But we're going to start by talking Whitecaps, a game from Friday night, back to back, baby. Yeah. We talked about it on last week's show. Could the Caps make it two in a row? I'll be honest, I didn't think they could. I had them winning, I think, 2-1. I was off, obviously, by a couple of goals. I, I really thought Portland 3-1, possibly. Just the way that things were going, I just... I didn't see where our goal was going to come from and how we were going to keep them out, Yeah. as it turned out. Freddie Montero, and a little bit maniacally, but fantastic defence. That's yeah. how we kept them out in the end. It, it was just great, and... We talked about the need... Of putting a little bit of a run together. Because there's no point in winning one game and then losing a couple. In this league, 
It's all about stringing some runs together. You saw that with Portland, how they climbed the table. Yeah. You've seen it with Atlanta, how they've climbed the table. Well, look at Vancouver, the way they've climbed the table yes. just in the last couple of weeks. I know, we they were in the, the playoffs, playoffs Friday. after Friday night's yeah. win. I mean, that was one of the most incredible things. It lasted 24 hours. We don't feel like a playoff team. No. But we're pretty close to being one. So I think that's exciting. I think we're, I think we're uh, instead of being at the bottom, I think we're grouped. I think Colorado's definitely the worst team. Yeah, and I don't think anybody's worse. Let's than just them. forget about yeah. them altogether. So now, I, think. I think we are. We've proven that we're in the grouping, like from five, the number five spot, five to eleven, to eleven. Yeah. yeah. So we're in that in that spot right a now. A ball here between us. Yeah. It's a, just a, just getting like you said, string those wins together. Understand that you're going to lose some games in there too, especially when you go on the road. But you're going to win some games, and then, you know, when you get that the reinforcements in the summer. If you can get a longer string of wins, then yeah. you have a chance to make the playoffs. This is such a key month. Seven games in the month of May. Then you've got your three-week break for the Gold Cup. So we talked about this tough games left, right and centre this month. Started off with a 1-0 win. Leapfrog in Portland into the playoff spots in the process. So that was nice. Moved us to the top of the Cascadia Cup standings. Yeah. That would have pleased Zach in particular. In our big quest for seventh heaven. That's what I'm going to... I'll be our hashtag. Seventh heaven when we win it this year, I think. But before we get into all the ins and outs, break down the game a little bit in this part, what were your general thoughts leaving BC Place on Friday night? Did you have a, a spring in your step? I thought... Uh, well, I had to because I had to get back to the car. Yeah. Parked I was away. walking with you, so yeah. I, I know how you were feeling. Yeah. But for everyone else that wasn't no, walking um, with you... I, I, th- I, thought, I thought it was a, a good win for them. The... They, they, they got the goal early, which is important for them because if the Whitecaps don't get the goal early, sometimes they get on, on themselves and they get frustrated and, they, and it just doesn't seem to work out. So they, it's very important for them to get the win, goal early. And that first half was solid. Yeah. I thought they, they controlled it. They didn't let up the ball. Even, I think you we were both mentioning that they got the goal early. Now they're going to be sitting back for 80 minutes. Yeah, they, didn't they didn't for that first half. The second half is a different story, but the first half they didn't. I, I did feel... At halftime, though, that they needed a second goal. Yeah. I didn't think they were going to hang on to that one goal lead, but I mean, full credit to them. They, they played fantastically. That was one of the best defensive displays, not just this season, yeah. but we've seen for a couple of seasons from that team. And they were ha- able to shut down half of the Valeri Blanco combo. Oh. And I think kind of the more important one, the one that runs the game. Well, they we, were able. We, we kind of neutralized both of them, really. Well, Blanco did it. How, was it? Da- I think he was actually. He was the a most, danger, but he, I think he was, he was the most dangerous player on the pitch for both whining teams. Yes, to, to, the, to take it. advantage. That of was his first half a lot. Yeah. yeah. Let's start with the goal. Freddie's on fire. It's as if a dragon had got into him and he had just set fire to everything in his life. Yeah. I don't know where you got that from. But I don't know. That just pops in my head for some reason. Yeah. Okay, he's maybe not fully on fire because he still only ma- mustered five shots and goal over the whole season. Yeah. But three of those are goals, so can't knock him for that. If nothing else, he's warmed up. He's getting there. We said he's a bit of a streaky player. Two and two now. That rest seems to have done him the world of good. Hopefully he can just keep this streak going up to those gold cup break not necessarily scoring every game it would be fantastic if he did but if he could set up some of the wingers yeah. or some of the midfielders in those, which he has done like last week he set up one of the goals yeah. so if he, he can do that he super motivated yes. he, he definitely he feels a different player and we know a lot of strikers are like this it's a weight off the shoulders once they get that goal once they get the the streak running when they've been dropped they want to come back and show the coach yeah. you shouldn't have dropped me like I think the motivation was seeing how Reina played 
and saying yeah. that maybe he would be stuck to the bench if it wasn't uh, for the injury. Yeah, and it's like Mark DeSantis has not made any secret of the fact that if players aren't performing, he's seeing what we're seeing and changes will be made. So, yeah. I mean, Freddie knows he's a designated player. He spoke after the game about he knows what he can do. We know what he can do. Yeah. It's great to see it. And there's a history of designated players sitting on the bench. Yes, that <laughs> does seem to be a habit here in, in Vancouver. One of those players will be back on Wednesday, but yeah. we'll, we'll talk That's about right. that in the next part. It was a nice nice ball from Inbomb Wang to kind of set the move up. I yeah. mean, a nice little ball inside from Russell Tybert. Then it was all Freddie. Yeah. He, great control, clinical finish. That's what you want from your DP striker. No way the goalie was going to get to that no. at all. I, when he, as soon as he hit it, I thought he blasted it over. It just looked like it was going that high, but no. Knew exactly what he's doing. Into the onion bag, 1-0 Whitecaps. We didn't know at the time. It was a match-winning goal. No more goals to talk about. But they had chances. Adnan at the post. Yeah. That, that was a nice oh. play off the corner, too. They, well, that was even well. before that, because yeah. Adnan had the shot yes. off Tully Mola's head, or yeah. whatever he's called, and then just tipped over by Clark. Yeah, so there there was some chances to get that second goal early. Yeah, and Adnan should have finished. Yeah. The, the goal was gaping for that. I don't think he was expecting it. It was kind of a miss. Hit shot or deflected shot into no, I his think, path. You know, no, Wang, uh, Wang. Wang was supposed to, uh, I think, shoot at that point, but I think it got deflected to mm-hmm. him at the side of the post. So I think it, he wasn't really expecting it. Yeah. But there was a lot of good in the game. And if we're talking about the good, we have to talk about the whole defence, really, because yeah. it was highlighted by Max Cripo and Daniel Henry in particular, but that back four and keeper the back five, even the defensive mids, they put in one hell of a shift. That yes. that was very impressive. They were throwing their bodies on the line. They were blocking everything. You had Henry with that amazing tackle. That, he was knocking timbers oh, all over the place. Yeah, chopping them down left, yeah. right, and center. Uh, I, I mean, it was it was really really good. Cripo was outstanding. Five saves on the night. Couple of nice diving stops in the first half. He looked composed. He, let's be honest. He looked a true number one. For me, man of the match, and he got the highest rating on whoscored.com, 8.3. Frey Montero just behind on 7.9. But, I mean, just thoughts about Max in this one. Oh, uh, so solid. I think he's he's kind of proven, like a lot of people are going, well, Zach McMath, Max Grappel, which one is the guy? I think he's proven MDS was right, or yeah. whoever the goalkeeping coach, whoever made that decision. Uh, that they were right in choosing Max as the keeper. But, uh, like, after the game... MDS w- didn't stop from complimenting Zach. He said oh, they no, had no I mean, issue with that's, Zach. That's but, the thing. I, feel, I think they got two I solid goals. really comfortable yeah. with whoever's in goal. And you didn't last year because no. with Brian Rowe, you kind of felt not 100% confident. But if something happens to Max, going to be away for the Gold Cup, for example, it's yeah. like I have total faith in Zach McMath coming, coming in now. Yeah. I thought, though, Daniel Henry was a monster again. Really, really pleased. That, that tackle that we're talking about that took out for Larry... That's going to be our tackle of the year. He uh, took a Blanco too, I think. Didn't he take a... He took out a couple of yeah. uh, people. Uh, there, were, there were a few from that, from him and others, actually, because the, the guys, as I said, they were kind of throwing the, their their bodies on the line. And it's that kind of stuff. If you mistime those tackles... It's uh, dangerous. Yeah, yeah, it's dangerous. Could be a red card, could be a penalty. The good thing, though, this week, I felt, was these crunching tackles... They were all coming outside the box. Yes. So even if it was mistimed, worse you're probably giving up as a free kick. Yeah, 
I agree with that. The the one the it was funny when when Valeri got knocked over, he looked up first to see if there was any call to see, and then he then he whirled around afterwards. Yeah. He, he really tried to play that, but it was a completely clean tackle. The referee was right there to see it. And everything. It was a good game that was ref to. Uh, to I don't think was VAR. VAR never came into play either. No, it? not at all. I don't know if he put his. Nice. I don't know if he, if he put his finger to his ear at any point to even listen to VAR. I. I can't remember the last game, actually, that VAR wasn't part of it in, in some regards, or maybe it just feels that way. I mean, Mario Santos had targeted at least 50% possession in matches. The cap started well in this regard, we're above that. We finished at 48.4, which all things considered, yeah, as we were under the cost yeah. for big patches of the match, that's pretty darn good. But that was a passing accuracy. It felt, it felt less, actually. Yeah, the, the but the passing accuracy... Passing accuracy was... Mwah. Yeah. It was it was eighty eight percent I want to say in the first half. They, that's how good it was, and then it, obviously it dropped a little bit because they were clearing balls, and I don't know if they consider that passes or not. But I think that probably brought the percentage down a little bit. By yeah, finished on eighty three percent, four hundred fifty eight passes. We actually won the passing accuracy by one percent. So I mean that that was good. Portland a- attempted ten more, but I mean all in all, I just thought there was just so much good to to talk about in this match. And do you know what else is good? Hearing from Zachary Adam Meisenheimer, who has now arrived in the studio. Good evening, Zach. How you doing? But what were your overall thoughts coming away from from the the win on Friday night? Well, I mean, yeah, you have to be excited. You have to be happy, uh, as as the the coaching staff and the players were to get their second win at home to win in the Cascadia Cup. Uh, yes, Steve, I heard you say, and that is important to me. Um, I I love the. The the passion we're getting on the touchline yeah. from Mark and his, and his coaching staff it's like it, you see what it means to them yeah oh totally and I don't know if I think I think I saw you tweeting about this Michael but yeah these 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 games that he's won have been against uh, the coaches and teams that he cares about yeah. being, you know like in a in, you know not in the Notwithstanding the you're a cheater if you don't care about every every yeah. game kind of thing, but there has been something. Oh, he's raising sig- his game for these ones. Yeah, there has been something significant, and uh, yeah, no, I, I think I think it wasn't. I, I still, it's not like champagne football by any means. No, but I think the the result is what you want, and I think there's obviously a, a number of signs of improvement in actual play on the field. Well, I mean that, that kind of moves us into the bad, and there, there's. We always do our good, bad, and the ugly, and there's not tons of bad, or I couldn't really think of any ugly things to talk about. But the bad for me was we gave up 27 shots. Now, that is a recipe for disaster yeah. if you're playing a team on the night that's got its shooting boots on. Thanks to some bad shooting, some great defending, some great goalkeeping, Portland only got five of those shots on target. Seven of them were blocked, I think it was, in the end. Uh, another day, another team, who knows how many goals. That could, that could have been a really ugly thing, but it wasn't, and you've got to take that. But we've got to be really careful about that. We can't afford to give up so many shots. Yeah, Max is not going to bail him out every game like that. Like He did it this time, It was like, especially the first half, those two cor- uh, headers. From the corners, oh, there were yeah. big the saves. Sprawling saves. Yeah. They were two really full-length stops by him. Yeah, you're right. It's not. It's not a recipe for clean sheets. That's for sure. Uh, Ultra, <laughs> ultra clean sheets. Sorry, Steve. Um, and actually, I don't know if it was in the stadium or in the in the at red card at the pub afterwards. But that was like the first thing that someone said is like, 
27 shots against that has to change like that yeah you can't keep up that way I, I mean we don't care what Portland coaches or supporters really feel but if you were the Portland coach and you're watching that play out I mean you think about we've had it under Robbo at BC Place games there was one game we had over 30 shots and we got no goals or one goal or something it pulls your hair out I mean you must just be watching that going you're getting big bucks I've brought you in to score how can you just get five of those on target it's absolutely crazy well they I mean but they also have a New and improvements coming in that territory for well, for Portland. Yes. Well, yeah. good for them because it's not against the way kept it for a yes, while now. We, yeah, we're not going to see them for a while. It's kind of crazy actually to think we're just at the start middle of May. That's our last Cascadia game at home at home of the yeah. season. Yeah, that's just like disappointing. Unless you meet in the MLS Cup. Oh, but, true. But for the cup, you're right. Yes. Four points, four points from two games is not ideal, yeah. but it's well, could, it, top it, of the second stand, best. Second best stand. you could be. Yeah. I mean, the ugly side of things, I, I, I really couldn't think of too much, apart from possibly the disappointing crowd. 18,356, <laughs> I think it was. It was a hot day, too. Hot day, Friday night. Yeah. So folk are working, 7 o'clock kickoff. Off the field trying issues. Trying to make excuses there. There is <laughs> off the field issues. You do wonder how much of that played into it. It didn't look in the stadium that there was even that many. No. Obviously, you count tickets sold. So Lot, I mean that lots of there were like lots of tarp, like lots of. I mean, the tarps they usually use to make their twenty-two and change regular. Yeah. St- but, but yeah, I mean, I mean the sky train I got down was empty. Uh, that's usually oh. a worrying sign because you're like, oh. Yeah, I mean, it is it? It's hard to count Friday fully as a as like a weekday match, right? Yeah. But but seven o'clock on a on a working day is you know i think is a a valid perspective yeah. but the thing is with these games usually especially so early in the season like it's less it's like less than a third or about a third of the way into the season usually this kind of game you would expect significant numbers because it's portland yeah whatever it's a big what, derby. whether you and portland brought good numbers up oh but they well. brought good numbers usual. but there weren't that many in the actual general crowd i saw a few here and there oh, but portland they fans yeah no yeah, they, it's not like seattle seattle you'll see seattle, way, seattle, way, seattle, yeah. you see those but i think i've seen i've seen stadium. more before for portland games but that was, again those were weekend games so it was there, there's a lot of factors the fact the team hasn't been playing great either is another reason oh i think that's that and the off-field stuff; those yeah. are the two biggest. I, I mean, reasons. I think so. the The test is going to be like if we string some results together now. Yeah. Wednesday, we can't really judge that. It's a midweek game. It's Atlanta. I know they're MLS Cup champs, but it's a it's a Wednesday night game. Get the, the Toronto Shea fans out though. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> the Toronto game at the end of the month is possibly going to be a good test as to what the White Caps have fan base wise right now. You say the Toronto game? Yeah, it's also a Friday. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it is because I'm going on holiday the next yeah. day, which is Saturday. I'm going. I'm yeah. I'm going on holiday that day. I'm working. Actually, not holiday. I'm working that weekend. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's There'll a be Friday. No AFTN show that weekend. Yeah, but that game got changed. I mean, that, that's the big celebration thing now. Oh right? yes, it got uh, changed from yeah. August, whatever, thirtieth or August. 30th. And we will come to to those celebration parts in part three. But I mean, anything else you want to talk about from from the game on Friday? Just happy, back to back wins. Let's hope they can build on that anyway. And we'll talk about that and a few other things when we're back in part two. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Sucking on 
a sour sweet Blisters on your tongue Sucking on a sour sweet Sitting on your thumb some slaves on a Sunday night spit it out there from their second album Artists of the Month UK band Slaves but welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM we're back with some more Whitecaps chat in this part hopefully Friday night's game is a win that we're going to build upon still got some concerns about the team and in particular for me just the midfield quality when it comes to creativity. Inbom Huang was better this game after a couple of poor performances, but he's still, for me, not as good as he was at the start of the season. My my issue was with him was like he gave, gave away the ball quite a bit, and sometimes those giveaways turn into good opportunities for Portland to counterattack. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They were in the wrong spots spots of the midfield. It was just like really, I don't know, if, I don't want to say lazy passing, but it was just poor decision making. He's he's him and Irisi are probably the two best players for distributors like in the ball yeah. across the pitch. Because but he had issues, and I don't know if that was the reason why he was subbed off, or maybe he, his legs were going, and that's why his passes weren't as crisp. I'm not mm. sure what the reason was, and maybe they wanted to save him for Wednesday as well. Someone uh, I, th- I think it was on Twitter where conversation, of course, is great and nuanced and <laughs> wonderful. But uh, I think some valid perspectives that I saw on Twitter talking about this were just again about how. Vancouver in the MLS era has never fully sorted out their own midfield, right? No. Like never, it's never been balanced enough where you have the right amount of creativity with, uh, you know, grit and steel and... and, uh, and or, or consistency either, even when you've got the players. Like Pedro Morales was a quality player, but as he went on in his career, the consistency just wasn't there. Well, again, but that was about, partly about positioning and who to play him yeah. with and how to play... How yeah, to play with the midfield him. unit? Yes, is what we've yeah. been lacking. Some great pieces over yeah. the years. Don't get me wrong, but just the right—I'll use the word balance—the right balance in yeah. midfield. I don't think they've ever had, and, and and usually one of the biggest holes in that has been a person who's created uh, creative enough to be the kind of the focal point. Well, okay, so let me ask you this then: If he had a Pedro Morales early Vancouver Whitecaps type in with Wang and Arise. Do you think that's a good midfield at that point, or you still? Th- I think it is because I think it takes so a just bit of the pressure off Wong. Yeah, so you're just missing that one one piece. Yeah, there. I, I think that's too simplistic, and of course, most of our conversation on this might be <laughs> considered too simplistic or over, uh, too, you know, too over the top, as you've told us in the past, Michael, from some people. But um, I, I think when you're talking about Pedro Morales, I think with those other two, Steve, you you also have to talk about like the tactical approach to that, right? Like f- formation a little bit as well, but tactical approach because you saw Pedro here push forward to be like a 10 behind a lone striker with wingers. Yeah. And you also saw him play like 
uh, sort deep of lying. Yeah, right. well, yeah, deep lying second second person in a double shield trying yeah. to use his range to good effect. So, uh, yeah, with those I'm, with those three, yeah, I'd, that would sound ex- potentially yeah. exciting. We've talked about it so many times. We've never had a proper number ten. I don't know if we're that ever that going to get one. That they've played as a 10. Because, yeah. again, yeah, you could in, argue in Pedro, position, yeah. Davide Cumento, but they hardly ever played but him at a 10. Even bringing a 10 in now in this 4-3-3, he's probably not going to be your proper 10 that you're expecting either. Or you have to get... Mm, your 8 has to be an 8 slash a 6 to go with your 6, maybe? I don't know. So all numbers, and we're away from the numbers. So <laughs> let, let's move on. Last Bangura. Faded again out of the game... But at least it was good to see Venuto was on and fighting to the end. Yeah. Because usually whoever starts between them, they fade out and the other one comes on. When they're both starting, your worry is they both, both then fade, fade yeah. and then you've got no one to bring on. But I thought Venuto did well. He won the ball a lot. He he really fought to get that he ball did. back. Yeah. We saw Brett Levi's come on in the last two games to play in a left wing role. Yeah. Is this maybe... We obviously don't know what's happening with Ali Adnan, but is this a chance maybe for Brett to reinvent himself as a left winger again or <laughs> some kind of midfielder again? Which is where he started his yeah. career, isn't it? Like, or he started on the wing, kind of played central midfield, went back to left back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with Brett Levi, I guess my hope is just whatever whatever playing time he can get wherever, I think, is, is hopefully positive. Because how old is he now? Is he 26? Or twenty five. Twenty. I want to say twenty five. So he's like he's like maybe just barely eligible for the Josie Jody's Young Player of the Year award. <laughs> he's too old now. Yeah. He's, he's so gone. like his days are past. He feels young, but uh, yeah, he 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 just needs to play, right? Like, so I'm happy for him to get to get time and and hopefully be able to f- uh, prove that he's wor- worthy of that time or continue to be worthy of that time. Uh, and I think so far is, is it twice now he's played in front of Ad, uh, Ali. This is twice he's been brought into games and played in front of him, yes. right? So, I, 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 both and both those were victories, right? Those are the last two games, right? Yeah. yeah so he didn't have Freeman Terra pushing him in the back of yes. anyone this week either. That's, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> he turned uh, twenty six end of March, right? Oh. Yeah. There so you we're go. both kind of right. Yeah. It was twenty five at one point this year. Now this game, as we kind of talked about in the first part, not a great crowd, a lot of off the field issues, and. The match saw another walkout by supporters in the, in the 35th minute. This time, the Timbers Army supported them, leaving en masse. And as soon as the Southsiders and Curver left and the Timbers Army left, the difference in the stadium, atmosphere-wise, sound-wise, it, it was kind of eerily quiet. It was very, very noticeable. Not mentioned on either of the TV broadcasts, of course. No, I, I heard it was mentioned in, on the Portland one. Oh, someone said it wasn't. Uh, I think someone said... Uh I'll double check that, but I'm pretty sure someone said it was. But it was good to see the Timbers Army coming up and supporting it. To, to have come all this way, to spend this money, you've travelled all that time, and you you give up watching 10 minutes of the game to support a cause, I mean, that's fantastic. And the, there was maybe about a dozen of them left in the section. Yeah. And then the videos... No, no, less than that. It was about, I counted, actually, because you could count six of them. There were like oh. six of them yeah, left. I heard it was like about a half a dozen. Yeah. So, I mean... It was great to see that, and it, this felt like the biggest, like not even just taking the TA out of it, but in the white cap side, it felt like the biggest 
numbers that were in the concourse from well, just videos that seen. Uh, well, the the Southsiders in Curva were obviously a big number, but I I noticed that uh, for sure that there was a uh, the largest amount of people in the regular stands um, that walked out. Uh, the, you could see a significant difference in there too. The only uh, part that was the people right in front of us that was that many, but other parts yeah. that you could see people. It's, it's hard out. when there's so many empty seats as well. To yeah, to judge it, to yeah. begin with. Yeah, I think it was the talked about maybe on the halftime of their thing. I, oh, I don't want to turn the audio on right now on that, but yeah. But there was another meeting this week between the front office and supporters. I know Southside is where I were Curva yep. at this meeting as well. And, and I think and the Rain City, City as well. Yeah, had the same two people were at the last one. Southsiders tweeted out that conditions to call off the walkout hadn't been met indicating that one of the big stumbling blocks was that the women wanted to meet with the the owners of the team and not the executives, but that was getting denied. And it's like, you meet with all of us or none of us. Yeah, Mallet said, this is my team. They have to be there kind of thing. To me, it seems strange that y- you would want the women that are classed as the victims in this to be forced to meet with some of the people that they're accusing of mishandling their original complaints. Wronging them, basically. Yeah. Not not doing the abuse, but mishandling. Yeah. I, I don't see how it fits that they yeah. think that they would be comfortable doing that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's utterly incomprehensible that this this wasn't... Me- I, 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 they could have avoided all this. But when I saw it, I was like shaking my head. I was like... What? That's your that's your reasoning, yeah. It doesn't. I agree with you. It doesn't make sense because he claimed on the radio the week before Jeff Mallet that he's willing to meet with them, but he never said at that time. He, he like he said he, I'm willing to meet with them. He never claimed that we were. I, maybe he did. I, I wasn't paying attention. But the fact that they just wanted to meet the owners and just you know explain their situation because Jeff Mallet had said it himself. He wasn't with the team in 2008. Yep. Kerfoot. I don't know how much Kerf- he was. Kerfoot was. He, but yeah. I don't know how much he was involved in the whole process. If he knew, I'm assuming he got updates, but I don't think he knew fully what was Kerfoot going on. is the invisible hand. He's very yeah. involved. Okay. The the other thing as well, and I might have picked this up wrong. And I know the site side has then clarified it, but it can confuse me a little bit more. And I meant to get in, in touch with Peter to clarify it or Paul. It, am I right in saying that any meeting between the women and the club? has to be on the club's terms. Is that... Uh, I'd have to go back and double-check the minutes from the meeting because I, I did see the minutes from it, but um, I'm not sure fully on their terms, but definitely, with, like, Mallet, Mallet said, even with lawyers, I wouldn't meet... I wouldn't. I, the executive team has to be there. Okay. So he. So I think it was even like, well, you can have your lawyer there or lawyers there, Jeff. These people might bring theirs, whatever, or whatever, or not. But I mean, I do understand that it is a committee that runs it. But in a situation like this, at least the very first meeting, I, I don't see anything wrong with the owners doing it. But there was T-shirts produced as well for the match on Friday. Um, and I know in the curva section after the game, Jake Norwinski went in, did the humba. And it caused a little bit of, I want to say drama for what if a better yeah, word, because he was he was posing in one of those t-shirts. Right. And I know you wanted to maybe say a little bit well, about Well, no, I, I just want to, this is sure some of my personal perspective on this. This is not like, uh, I'm not speaking on behalf of Curve Collective for this. This is just how I view things. First off, I think people are welcome to their opinion and to view things, interpret things how they want. And that, I mean, some of the response I think uh, is, shows that <laughs> very much so. Uh, 
the shirt itself, which again, I I have no no involvement. I had no involvement in making the shirt. Uh, like I didn't even see the shirt until after it was made. Like that, there was people working to to who took that on as something they wanted to do. Um, but the shirt itself, to me, is like there's not like there's nothing super offensive about, about the shirt because the shirt itself no. just says we believe them, which is a reference to the people who made allegations. And it has, I think, a hashtag on it that says Safe Sport, which is a movement that long pre exists, from my understanding, long pre exists all BC this stuff. BC Soccer and the CSA have been talking I think about so, yeah. Week, yeah. But it exists before that, even. Um, it's just a movement to make sure that sports are safe for young athletes, I think, in particular. Um, so, and, and correct so you guys correct me if I'm wrong, because this is my interpretation, but the, 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 Release that the White Caps organization put out, whatever it was last week, the, the the last one they put out, that, uh, that was signed. The signed one, yeah, yeah. Let's call it the signed one. So the signed one they put out, they in, apologized. They apologized yeah. in that thing, and they also said, uh, "We are we like they said they say they say this in the previous one as well." But they're passing this information on to the police. Yeah, mm-hmm. which to me, in essence, they're saying, we "Yeah, believe, we, we we believe them too. We yeah. believe these. Yeah. We believe this too." The other the, the other thing, safe sport. I don't know if I can't remember if it was in that document, but behind the scenes, the, uh, as I understand, people who've gone to these meetings uh, have told me that the Whitecaps are working at how can they make s- sports safer yeah. for not just their programs and their athletes, but athletes in general. Yeah, and the the shirt itself is in like white caps colors, light blue and dark and dark blue. So like some people, I think, have, and some people have called it this themselves, which. I find it hard because it's in those colors and the statement it says. They, they, some people are, think it's a, a ultra negative protest kind of T-shirt. When no. to me it seems of like a very just supportive T-shirt of the, these women and this concept of having safe sport. So I like it's not it's not a and it's it's not a black T-shirt with right writing on it. It doesn't say owners out or executive out yeah. or or. Two thousand. You, you'd written that in the back of yours. And two, it no, two thousand and eight report. Now it doesn't say. It's like nothing. It's nothing. I, I cra- think it, crazy. It, it was. It was surprising when I saw it. I was like, ooh, like that. That's that's so, the response I had. But I, so, so, I, so I genuinely thought it was a little strange because I didn't think anyone wasn't believing them. I just thought that was a. It was a. Like we support them. Yes, I thought we'd maybe again. I wasn't. I was. Uh, to be fair, the people who made it, I wasn't involved with the people who. who I was the people who made it. They chose this. They went with this. I think there was a few voices involved in that. Um, but but so some people have asked. Oh, did uh, did uh, you know? Oh, it, what, does does this mean? Jake? Some people may have made this sound like Jake is against the club and the owners and all this kind of stuff. And people have been like, Oh, did you tell Jake? Did you like interpret the, this T-shirt for Jake and like? Tell him your thoughts and or your feelings on it. One, I, one. This is actually one of the few times I've never. I wasn't involved in setting up a humble with Jake. I didn't go on the field to get Jake. I didn't lead the humble with Jake. I didn't swap shirts with. Like I wasn't involved. I was just. I was just there. And uh, so someone went and just grabbed a person for the humble. Ended up being Jake. And Jake, like he's done before, graciously before, did the humble swap shirts and put on the shirt. Photographers were there, like they, like they, usually are, took a picture. Uh, the curve, uh, curve of social media again. Not, not me, but because people think I do. I people think I'm the silent hand. Do sound like Shaggy now. It wasn't me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that song. You have to oh. share with me there. Um, <laughs> but think that you know whatever that. So again, I didn't put it out. Like it, and the, the thing that was put out too. It wasn't like 
with all these hashtags that are anti-FO or tagging all these people to get all yeah, this. Yeah, it was a neutral it, it was t-shirt. A, it was a simple we celebrated. Supportive. Yeah. It was a supportive neutral so, t-shirt. So, so, for, for, so for me, my, my concerns about – so I don't think it's a, a, a huge thing. To, uh, you can not like it or whatever. People are worried about Jake and the front office. Yeah, I, I, I was. I, I would admit. I've been told that there's nothing to worry about because – Yeah, I was told that as well. Multiple reasons in my opinion. One, because like why – like this is a supportive thing in general. It's not a, a negative thing. So why would you, they have a problem? Two, if they had a problem with it, it would show that they're what they don't believe the women, or they're against safe sport. Like, no, I think if they had a problem with it, it'd be because they feel that you were using a player right. as like a political tool and right. and everything. So I think so, that would be why they would. Maybe so my understanding it. is, uh, some of the people in Curve Collective have messaged Jake to just say, hey. Uh, we didn't mean for this to come across in this way. We didn't mean to cause anything negative in your relationship with in your employers or whoever. Yeah, so that message has been sent to Jake, and you know, for me, I'd re- you know, I look yeah. forward to talking to him about it and whatever. But so to me, it's 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 kind of been this blown out as a hugely negative thing, and people have been like, "Oh, did Jake consent to it?" Like, it's like one thing is certain, this isn't going away, and it, it's hard to know what. It, the way forward is for it now, but well, the, it's very simple. The, the it's a very simple thing. The way they go forward, if the women want to meet with you, meet with them. Don't put any conditions on it. If the women want to see some report that I don't know if they they've seen it themselves, I whatever the case is, let them see the report. I, the report. Can I just say one thing about the report? I don't know if this has come out, but my understanding is. I think the Whitecaps perspective on the report is if all the parties agree to forego the non-disclosure agreement, they're happy to to make sure uh-huh. it gets found or given or whatever. Yeah, but there's one party that's not going to yeah. agree to it. That's, that's, yes. uh, that's You'd probably highly valid so. point, Steve. And, uh, I know okay. who we're talking about, Coach Well, Billy. moving from one controversial area to another controversial area. More controversy. Yeah. Oh, VAR. Yeah. Video review. Now, thankfully. Not at all in this game. Nothing in this game. Not the main talking point coming out of it. Not the, even used at all. It, it felt rare. Does the VAR official get paid for the game? Oh, bound to. Yeah. Okay. MLS rolling in money. They they pay their folk really well, I've heard. Now, last week I went on about how I've come full circle from not wanting VAR or technology in the game to thinking, oh, it might not be too bad after all, to then starting to hate it. I was curious what Mark DeSantis felt about that. So I got a chance to sit down with Mark this week at training on Wednesday just to get his thoughts on that. Did he agree with me? Or is he an advocate for technology in the modern day game? What I was wanting to to ask you about was video review technology in general in the game not the specifics with the white caps because I've I've come kind of full circle on this when they first talked about video review coming in I wasn't in favor because I'm an old fashioned traditionalist I, I, I like you and then I started to get I like, I like the goal line technology I like yes. the referees having the thing I, yes and then video review came in and I've seen it good at the World Cup I've seen some horrific things here yes. and in Europe like recently I've kind of come back to the top of the circle again and I, I just feel it's ruining the game it's slowing it down it's taking all the drama and the excitement out of it yes. uh, I agree with you I think that football needs to have this drama in this story it cannot be become a robotic 
it cannot become robotic because then that's going to take a lot of interest away. You need to talk about decisions and you need to talk about things that went wrong. For me, there's two, two things that are important with the review. One, the goal line technology, because if the ball did go in, it went in and it's over. And the other one, the offside. Okay, the, uh, if the player is, is offside and he gets called, for me, these two should stay, should be reviewed, are very important. What should not be reviewed, for, in my opinion, is what is the, uh, the discretion of the referee yeah. in his interpretation. Okay, I'll, I'll come back to a game where Inbiom is tackled by Kim Lee against Seattle. Okay, If a ref would call that a penalty shot, some would say it's fair because it was a reckless challenge even though if he touched the ball. If, others, if the ref would not call the penalty shot, it's still fair. Because if he would call the penalty shot, it's still fair. Or, or not, you know. Either decision would yeah. be a fair one and would be interpre- uh, the interpretation would be different. So for the ref, as soon as he calls, because he reads the penalty shot and he calls the penalty shot, for me, it should stand. That decision should stand. Now, if he gets an information that, A, uh, he was offside before the tackle, I agree that it should be reviewed. Or, A, the ball went in, I agree. But once he calls the penalty shot and there's a guy saying, I'm not sure it was, and now he goes and he says, yeah, maybe it was, and it comes back, these are the type of calls that are ruined the game. Caleb Porter was totally right he was totally right because the ref took a decision, in my opinion, based on his ego. It was a clear goal of Pedro Santos. Who got in the way of Trap and Acosta in a bad way? And who act- if somebody does a foul, is dead uncle? Yeah. No matter so, what angle you look at, no, it, the guy never so touched him. The, then the humility of Ted Uncle to see it and to say, oh shit, I screwed up DC because I get in the way of Acosta, but it's not Will Trapp's fault. No. So this is a goal. He goes back and he calls it back. He goes back and he calls it back. Very unfair. So it's interpretation again. These kinds of call, these kinds of call, I'm again. So these are the two points, in my opinion, that it's fair to review. Goal line technology, offside, but not then, not, not things left to interpretation. Would you like to see the decision centralised so that there's no, the referee doesn't have to second judge it, it, himself? It would be maybe better. You know, it would be maybe better compared with the VAR. But in my opinion, I, I'm a little bit like, yeah. like you. Uh, it's a goal, it's a goal. If the ball crossed the line and the watch says it crossed the line, it's fair. Or if it's offside, then anything that is interpretation... Me, I could take a decision now in my life, going at the bank, and it might be not good. But then uh, I'm not gonna. I can't go video review to come back, you know. So uh, I'm gonna interpret uh, the interpretation of things. It leaves too much space. Instead of saying it's offside, yes, okay, offside is a rule. Then is it a, a goal? Yes. But then when it's fouls that 
your opinion and mine are different, yeah. it leaves so much in the air that a, a referee A takes a decision in a game, uh, LA Seattle, and referee B, faced with the same type of decision in another game, takes a total different decision because of his interpretation. While an offside or a goal, it's an offside or a goal. There's no interpretation there. That's what I think. I agree. Mark DeSantis there, talking about video review and technology in the modern day game. Agreeing with me, so obviously I'm, I'm, I was delighted. <laughs> that's why that. I was played. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I, I, I like, I, I'm totally agree with them. I think the one thing that VAR, whether it's hopefully they do it mid-season or maybe next year, they need to def make a better definition of what's clear and obvious. They can't yeah. be so chintzy on like millimeter offside calls. If the referee is watching and he doesn't call it, there should be no review. It's like no As review Mark called. says there, it's like two people can look at the same thing and yeah. have two completely different If it's something viewpoints. he completely missed... Totally different story, but yeah. if he's watching and he doesn't think it's a penalty, don't. It shouldn't even be called review. It should be these things. should be like for to make sure the goal went over the line, to make sure it wasn't a handball as it was going through. If the referee, I think it maybe even should be either where the referee requests VAR instead of uh, being told to review something. Maybe he the review should come from him asking for assistance. Well, the, the other interesting thing we talked about the Caleb Porter, Will Trap, Columbus yeah. VAR thing last week. Pro came out this week and said, yep, we made the wrong decision and it should never have been overturned. So this is another decision, and the Whitecaps have had two go against them as well, that's reviewed and they still have the wrong decision. <laughs> so when you've got that going on, something needs to change in this. But that is it for this part. We will be back in part three with a look at the NASL Soccer Bowl season. And a chat with Ali Adnan. Hi, I'm Jake Norinsky, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. My favourite all-time songs there. Tubeway Army, Gary Newman, Our Friends Electric. I still get shivers whenever I hear the start of this song. It takes me way back to my childhood. I remember sitting in my bedroom with my handheld tape recorder recording this song off the radio. That's how old I am. I listened to the radio and had a tape recorder. Oh, I did too. Well, you're, oh, you're, same. you're old as well. No, and but not. We're all old. We're old men. We're, well, no, but that, I'm not you're old. Oh. You're old. <laughs> <laughs> but that, well, I was doing that in the early 90s, I think. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'd moved on to, to CDs by that point. That's from Chubby Army's debut ar- album, Replicas. 
entered the UK charts 40 years ago this week. That is our 1979 song for this week. It eventually got to number one, stayed there for four weeks. It was a hit across Europe, New Zealand, Australia, but never in here or the US. Weezer did cover the song in 2008, though, for a B-side. Ah, uh, it's just, I just love that. It was a, it was one of those breakthrough synth-pop new wave songs that kind of led to th- that new genre, that new sound into the 80s. And it also led to strikes in the union when they were appearing on TV because it wasn't proper instruments. It was all electronic, and the unions were against that because it was taking jobs away from musicians, they felt. Hmm. But that is played, of course, for celebration of our 40th anniversary of the NASL Soccer Bowl win by the Whitecaps. We've got some cracking songs coming up this month in particular. 1979, one of my favourite years all time for music. Heart of Glass, fantastic song by Blondie. That was number one in Canada 40 years ago this week. Reunited by Peaches and Herbs, still number one in the US. And of course, Bright Eyes by Art Garfunkel. Only one more week and then it's not number one. Woody Allen's Manhattan was still number one at the, the box office. Russ Meyer's famous sexploitation movie, Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens, was released this week. Sure, we've all seen that. I think I've seen that on Showcase, mm. when Showcase used to show those kind of movies. It's uh, interesting. Different times, I think we can, we can say about that. This week, though, for the Whitecaps in their 40th anniversary season, Packed Crowd. 22,078 fans into Empire to watch the Whitecaps beat Rochester Lancers 1-0 in overtime. Made it three straight wins, six wins from their first eight games, topping the Western Division. Whitecaps had 26 shots to seven. Ship Messing was in the Rochester goal, described in the report I, I read as the controversial loudmouth keeper. He's carried that on a little bit into his broadcasting. <laughs> They couldn't get a goal past them though in the 90 minutes and the game headed into overtime. Up popped Carl Valentine to head home the winner, his first goal as a Whitecap, four years ago this weekend. Was that from some good link-up play on the wing by Wee Willie Johnson and Bob Leonard Uzi? No, Bob, Bob Belitho. Oh, okay. I knew um, there was a Bob in there somewhere. Yeah, I, I did TSS commentary today with Alan Errington and, oh... The stories he shared off-air that I can't tell on-air, <laughs> including a really fun one about Willie Johnston and Bobby Linaduzzi that I just told Zach before we went on-air, which is why I mentioned that. I'll maybe share that as, as the season goes on, though. Well, maybe, really funny story. maybe it could be an Extra Time podcast. Also, a very interesting story he told me about a player pissing in a hotel lobby because he was so drunk before a game. Before a game? Yes. <laughs> That's another story as well. Different times. Yeah, it was different times. The Whitecaps have announced uh, their special anniversary game is going to be against TFC, as we mentioned, on on May 31st. 16 players from the 1979 squad coming over for this one. They're going to be in attendance. Wee Willie Johnson, King Kevin Hector, Phil Parks, the goalkeeper, a lot of other players as well. Some players, like Alan Ball, sadly no longer with us. But I'm looking forward to that. We'll catch up with a few of those guys for our future segments about 1979. So, that was the 1979, and back then, in the, the Whitecaps squad, just five nationalities. 
The bulk of the players were Canadian and English. Far cry from today's squad where we've got 13 different nationalities represented. Back then, the thought of having players from, say, Tunisia or Guinea or South Korea or Iraq, I mean, you wouldn't, you'd have considered it strange because those nations weren't really thought of as good footballing nations. Where their national teams lay in the pecking order was way down, so you didn't have those kind of players coming over. This was a league that had the likes of Beckenbauer and Pele and Rudy Kroll and all these top German and Dutch players. And Well, in these 40 years, Michael, so there's also been this thing called globalisation that has played a... Role in that. Yeah, not not a fan. <laughs> Scotland qualified for World Cups back then. Don't anymore. <laughs> Different times, as I've said. Things have changed. Some of the White Cats' best players nowadays are, are from those countries, and one of them, nice little segue, Iraq's Ali Adnan. Now I got a, a chance to sit down with Ali this week. I'd wanted to do it for a couple of weeks. Wanted to let him settle in, though. Wanted to get him used to my accent. Had a nice 10 minute sit down with him at training on Wednesday just to, to talk about his football and life, what it was like growing up as a, a young want to be footballer in Iraq, making the move to Europe, now here with the Whitecaps. A lot of fascinating stuff. Here is Ali Adnan. Wanting to talk to you a little bit. Not so much about coming here, but like your life in football, just kind of up to now. So Ali, growing up in Iraq, what what was it like for somebody that wanted to play football? I mean, we've all seen over the years what it's like in Iraq and there's been the wars and everything like that. How difficult was it for you to play football with all that going on? It's like, it's too difficult because everybody, they know the the moment in Iraq is not true, so... Uh, we are the last like 10 or 15 years we have like many problems in Iraq so that's why when I was younger so it's really difficult to play football there but we, st- we, 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 we do we do a lot of things about about our job because you know like the football it's like when you know just one job so you have to concentrate to this job so when I was younger so I concentrate about my job so I leave the school I leave everything about football so because I believe what I do it you know and my family they believe me so much so that why like when I was younger I a lot of difficult time to 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 play football and then after is like the moment is coming a little bit better so that's why I go to my first team in uh, to play in the league of Iraq so I play a Baghdad team he's a he's a small team but uh, I do a good job there is like half year in one year yeah and then I I move from national team under 20 and we play Asian Cup and we finish the second division and then we play World Cup the same year and we finish four and we do this is my the best year in my life for me because we finish second and then we go on the four of World Cup so we make a lot of things with my national team under 20 and then it's like I have a lot of a lot of teams they want to take me but that's why I moved from Turkey because I want to play. I was younger, so if I go to big teams like Rome or Galatasaray, like Lazio, uh, maybe I don't have time to play. You know, it's like because the big teams when they they bring is like one young player, they let him one yeah. or two years to. But and then after, so I I moved from Turkey. I play my first year. I do a good job there, and then after, I moved from Italy. So this is what I do. Is like in two. 
two or three years. So I do everything in this two or three years, and then after it's like you know, uh, not easy when you play in Italy. It's like one of the most important league in the world. So when I was in Italy, I'm really happy, uh, and I do four seasons there. It's not easy you play in Italy for season, and I was, I still have contract one year there, and then I move here to White Cup. So it's like we do, <laughs> uh, we move a lot of in this year. So I move from Udinese to Atalanta, Atalanta to White Cups, but I was so happy now here. Your your family, your dad and your uncle, they they were both footballers. Was that always that you were going to be a footballer? Is that all you ever wanted to do when you were younger? Yeah, I have my uncle, uh, he's a big player in Asia and in Iraq, and also my father, he's a big player in Iraq, he plays national team. Uh, That's why I told you, I believe what I do, is like when I was younger and my uncle, he helped me too much with my father, and they told me you have to concentration just about football, because they know when I was younger, I go to school, it's like, I I don't like school, you know, it's like, (laughs) I leave the school, I go play football, I leave the school every day, I go play football, that's why it's like... I stay with the football, I leave the school, and they help me too much. So when you are with family, they are they have like a football family family football player. So this is good. So they help me too much, and that's why I'm here. You've done a lot in a short period of time in your football career, but that 2013 Under 20 World Cup is that one of the, the highlights of your career? What what's your memories of of that World Cup? Yeah, I think it's the the best moment for me this year because we play the World Cup. It's the first time the Iraq they play World Cup under 20. So, and we are in in the in the best moment. The national team Iraq. We are in the best moment. So that's why I do a really good job there. It's like I scored the best two goals in World Cups, and I have like four or five assists in the in the World Cup. So I was in the best 11 in the World Cup. So I do a lot of things in this year. So that's why. I'm telling you, is like, what I do is like, I think they mean, I hear men in my, in my head, so always like when I watch, I go on YouTube, I, I see, I see something of, of my games like before, or I see a lot of things, like I see my pictures, I still have my pictures there, so it's like, you have, a, I have a good memory there. The, the Iraq national team now, how good is this generation of Iraqi players, and how successful do you think they can be? Can they get to the World Cup in 2022? Uh, before, I told you it was really difficult, but now we are in good moments, so now we don't have any problems. Now the league is like, they have a good league now in Iraq, and also the people, like the fans there, everything is okay. It's like we have a lot of new stadiums, the bigger, so we can play home. So this is the most important for us. We're going to play home because in 2013 years yeah. we didn't play home. It's difficult for us to go World Cup and you don't play home without your fans. So that's why it's like I think this is the moment we need to go in World Cups. It's not easy, but I think we're going to do it. Now, you're a proud Iraqi and you were the first Iraqi player to play in Italy. What did that mean to you? They mean a lot of things because I'm the first Iraqi player he play in Italy. And this is not easy, I told you before. It's not easy for one player, young player, he go play. He moved from Iraq to Turkey, to Turkey, to Italy. So I think I do a good job when I was in Turkey and when I was with national team. That's why the, the team, they still look at me because the, the teams in Italy, they look long time for a young player. 
before they take him. Uh, I I'm I'm really happy because I was the only the only players he played there, and like I helped him come back in Europe again. And when you were there, that's when you got to to meet Vanni Sartini. Uh, what what's your relationship been like with him, and did he have a big part to play in you coming here? Yeah, he wanted to take me like when he was in Italy before, and I I didn't know this, but my my agent he told me this before I come here. He told me that Vanni he wanted to take you when I was younger, and I go I move from Odinese, so he still have have something for me so that way when he tells me this I'm happy to to meet him again so I didn't meet him before but I'm happy to meet him here because he didn't take me here but he he tried to 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 take me here and in, in white cup so I think uh, I think he's a, he's a really good guy and he's a good coach with with the stuff I think it's like I don't know how I say in English but this is the best stuff I work with them in my in my life for me so I'm so happy to be here with them. I'm not going to ask you if you want to stay because everyone's asking you that. So I know you can't say anything more. But how have you found these past couple of weeks in MLS with all the travel and going to all the different cities? Has it been very, very different for you? Yeah, it's true. I, I feel too much different because everybody, you know, in Europe is like, if you want to drive, it's like one hour yeah. maximum. And... Here is like, the last one is like maybe five, six hours. So it's too difficult for me because I'm just come two months, one month ahead. So that's why it's still difficult for me. I need time, but I think it's okay. Uh, and you know, it's like America and Canada is too bigger. So that's why it's like all the flies, like five, yeah. six, seven, eight hours. So we go Orlando, how many hours? <laughs> uh, 12. 12 hours. So it's too far for, for, for the team. That why it's like, Always, like the teams in MLS, they when they play home, they play better. When they go away, they play a little bit normal. I think it's okay. So with the time, I think I'm gonna, f- I'm gonna feel better. Thank you so much for your time and good luck for the rest Thank of you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank Ali. You. Thanks. Day. You too. Ali Adnan there, a great chat with Ali from training last week. He's been a, a, a great player, I feel, for the Whitecaps since he's come in. I had an interesting discussion with another media member this week who doesn't think he's been that good. Well, he, uh, I was sitting next yeah. to that media member. Um, he said that he doesn't feel like he's the best left back, like like unquestioned best left back in MLS. That, that's what his he, main point was. He's better than left backs we've had, oh, and he's oh. a different quality. I oh, feel Alain Rochat's yeah. coming up. Uh, not yet. He's to me. He's not better yet than Alain Rochat. I still uh, didn't. And that's I. Really and I fully Rochette admit that highly. I fully admit that that's my bias coming yeah. through. Because remember, Alan hit that goal against Philadelphia, Philadelphia yeah. and that was a nice shot. Where was Ali's goal against Philadelphia? That was MLS um, 2.0. My, yeah. my one thing I would say about Ali though is I think he tries to do a little bit too much, too much fancy he's, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've but heard, although I like the hip in the in the, in the skip yeah. and the thing, that was a nice move. I forget who the thing the is. Americans were some Americans, but someone said they, he's the second left left back in the league behind Greg Garza. No, the guy at in Seattle. 
Jovin, Jovin Jones. Jones. No, no, he just came back. Brad, Brad Smith? Brad Smith. No. I think, I oh, was yes, someone did say yeah. Brad Smith, but then yeah. you wouldn't have brought Jovin Jones back if Brad Smith was the best left back. No, but I think they might MLS. play Jovin Jones for the field. Oh, yeah. um, but I, I, I think he's good, but I think because he's shown some flashes of brilliance, like people in their mind, and, and the because time. of where he's from, he's from Syria, he's kind of... I thought it was Iraq. Be, was playing oh, Syria, for, the playing league. For club in oh, Syria. I said Syria. <laughs> no, sorry. Syria, ah, the league. He was playing in the I Italian Syria. Syria. Too, I thought it was. Right. No, sorry. Yes, I know he's from Iraq. But they th- They're close to each other. <laughs> <laughs> A bike ride. Um, um, but their uh, their opinion of him is is so high, and because of some of the stuff he's done, that he's almost infallible, it feels yeah. like. And I, I don't think he's quite that that good yet, but he is. he's great. It's whether you want to splash the cash to keep him, and that that's the big question. We don't know whether they will, whether he's worth it. Can you get something better? I mean, that's, that's all things. Millions of dollars yeah. worth of a question there. We're going to need him and all the other defenders to be at the top of their game on Wednesday night, though, because the MLS champs are coming to town. Atlanta United, next up for the Caps, and sadly, really starting to hit their stride and hit their form after a... Started the season that you thought Frank De Boer's on his way out. Turned him around, showing what do I know about Frank De Boer? They looked really good, I thought, in their 2 0 win over TFC midweek. That was a comfortable 2 0 win. Not as spectacular, but still comfortable against Orlando today. I watched most of that. 1 0 win they came away with in the end. Did you see the TIFO? I didn't know. Oh, they had they did. Uh, this is one of the few games I haven't watched today. <laughs> oh, they well, you were busy. They did. Uh, I watched it on the. I didn't watch it live. I watched it on the PVR. They did. Uh, I don't know if it was fire. This, some good little flashy placard things. But then they did a, a net raising, and they they had a Godzilla or not King Kong, King Kong oh. looking like gorilla, gorilla um, in an Atlanta jersey with uh, holding a lion over his shoulder, kind of thing, because they were playing Orlando. Yeah. It was. Oh, uh, nice. I mean, I've seen. I've seen more offensive tifos involving involving lions and and lions before, but it was not. It was not too bad. So, are they like, was it a silverback? Yeah, that maybe it's tied oh. into that. I think. Yeah. Oh, interesting. The goal today came from Pity Martinez, his first MLS goal. Brad Guzman had a, a couple of big stops as well. Four straight wins now for Atlanta after a poor start. Five wins in the last six. All five of those victories have been without giving up a goal. Breaking down this defence is going to be tough. Atlanta's May schedule, like the Whitecaps, is busy, busy, busy ahead of the Gold Cup. And they only have two days in between. Because they play today, and that's only Monday, Tuesday. One of them is a travel day. that's true. Wednesday's going to be their fourth match so far this month, which is crazy. Four matches in 11 days. They've got a trip to New York Red Bulls coming up on Sunday as well. Now... A long trip, a couple of days after playing against a non-conference rival. Do you think we're going to see them rest some of their, their key players? Or are they wanting to just keep this momentum going? It, it, it'll be up to it's, De Boer. I don't think he wants to. I think he wants to get every win he can. And I think he will play a pretty strong. He might rest one or two guys that maybe not feel it. But I think he's going to play as strong as possible. I do. I think I would be surprised at any more than three changes. But... You gotta, you gotta, you. I mean, you gotta. He's got to be expecting a massive match from Breckshay. Oh, he'll be up for it. 
and you know how X players do against us. And the thing is, I think I think the one guy they might rest out of the their top players is might be Pity Martinez, only because he won't be used to the travel like that across. He scored today. I know, but I'm just might saying. Might want to write that, but no, I I would I. I would rest Martinez if I were them. If you're listening to this, rest Martinez. Both Joseph and Pity. <laughs> Anyone named Martin? Yeah. Martinez. Joseph Martinez and Ezekiel Barco lead the way. Four goals apiece. But Barco's away now with Argentina's under-20s oh, for the World unfortunate. Cup. Sad. Disappointed in that. Hector Villalba, three assists. He's their leader. Atlanta's up to fifth now after the win today in the East. Six points back of Philly, who's leading the East. But they've got two games in hand in them. Yeah. 12 goals scored is the equal worse than MLS with Columbus. But eight goals against is the equal best in MLS with LAFC. Now, we know what we did to them. But, I mean, what's the key for the Caps in this one? For me, trying to do anything to break down this this defence. They gave up 10 shots at home today to Orlando. Yeah. So they can be tested. We just have to... Be clinical, I think, when we test Exactly, and I think defensively they need to clog up that midfield. I think if Breck Shea is playing left back, you run at him all day long. Who would you put up against him then? Someone that he hasn't seen? Yeah, well... He I doesn't watch he MLS. Has he's he seen, seen any? Yeah, he hasn't seen any. <laughs> that was good. Didn't even know about the Cascadia Cup. So. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe Venuto? I think, I think you, I think, I think you intentionally change up who's going at him yeah so five they, minutes Venuto five minutes Bangura yeah and get some uh, in-bomb out there as well uh, change of change of pace and trickery well th- that that's the thing as well because it's a home game do you go with the same team for, for three games on the trot or do you mix it up a little bit maybe bring someone like Andy Rose in for Russell Tiber I think I think you go a full lineup this time uh, I, I don't see any changes here I think that when you go back on the road against Sporting yeah. I think that that's where you maybe make some of the Which changes. Which is now a very winnable game. Yes. Sporting is having a nightmare. Because remember, this, th- this one's a Friday to Wednesday. It's not a, a yeah. short week. So you're, you're able to... have got two extra to, days rest. Exactly. So I think you go full lineup, your strongest lineup, this one, and then worry about the road games. Because you, you need to keep your winning at home going. Two yeah. weeks in a row. That's... Incredible wisdom, Steve. Okay, thank you. Well, I'm just I just say because I want to be at the beginning of the show again. <laughs> we'll find something else. Let's get some predictions. Let's see if Mister Positive Pander <laughs> is going to keep going. I I go I go again. Uh, I'll go two two nil, Vancouver. <gasps> two nil. Yeah. You don't have to agree. Uh, you're looking at me like you. But it's better. <laughs> it's better to keep uh, the, the, keep talking though during our radio show. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> no need for stunned silence. For, uh, look, you go next, Michael. I am gonna go two 0 Atlanta. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I right, let's see, let's make it perfect. I'm gonna go two two. Oh, and if you're, I wrong, do think I think you have Atlanta- to turn up to next week's show wearing a two two. I think I'm away next week. Oh. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> Joe should be here next week, I'm hoping. Shouldn't he join us next week? It's a holiday weekend. Oh, maybe. I hope we'll give him a call. Oh, I, he's away as well, actually. Uh, <laughs> I just say I just said 2-2 because you guys said 2-0 and 2-0. But I, I do think I think Atlanta will more likely win like 2-1. But. There isn't actually going to be a preview show this week or next week just because it's midweek games. So it's kind of impossible to fit it in. But that is it for our Whitecaps chat. We will be back with a a look around MLS and some big, big talking points coming out of MLS this week after this. Hi, I'm Daniel Henry and you are listening to AFTN. 
down. Steve's selection there. It has nothing to do with anything that was on TV today. No, of course not. (laughs) Carnage, man, carnage. We're back for part four of the AFTN Carnage Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. So the Whitecaps finished this weekend eighth in the West, one point back of the playoff spots. We'd been temporarily in it. Only three points off sixth now as well. We would have been in a playoff spot if Kai Kamara didn't miss a penalty kick. Which he never oh, does. Oh, did he? I never, I never actually that's watched a, that game. Yeah, that's that, the second only in the league. Yeah, oh. he he missed it. He would it would have been a three three draw otherwise. Why he really hates the Whitecaps doing that. Whitecaps have still scored the least amount of goals in the West, but on the flip side, we've got the fourth best defensive record now. Three clean sheets in the year for Mats Kripo. Only four teams in the West won this week: the Caps, LAFC, who cracking goal from Carlos Vela. If you haven't seen that, Seattle, RSL. Portland, Dallas, Galaxy, San Jose, Minnesota, Colorado, Houston, and today, Sporting KC, all lost. So an excellent weekend for the Whitecaps. But it's been a busy week off the pitch, and that's more what we want to talk about in this part. A couple of big talking points we're going to get into. Managers leaving all over the place. Anthony Hudson had gone from Colorado. This week, two more managers were dismissed. Brad Friedel of New England... And sadly, Alan Koch, friend of the show at FC Cincinnati. Now, for me, Friedel sacking it wasn't too unexpected. They've been awful. Lost 5-0 on Wednesday to Chicago. And that came on the back of a 6-1 shellacking at Philly four days earlier. They look in a mess that it doesn't matter who's going to come in. They're not going to get out of that. I don't think the suit season, so you can maybe write the season off for the Revs. Now, maybe I was just completely out of the loop, but for me... I don't know about you guys, Alan Koch's dismissal in Cincinnati, major shock. Yeah, and, and disappointment. I, I feel I feel for him. Like, I don't know him as well as you do, Michael, or and Steve maybe as, as well as you do, but I feel really bad for, for him to go out in this way. And it feels, uh, I get the results side of things, but it it feels a little bit too early. And I know, I think you were tweeting about this or someone was tweeting about this, you know, the joke of like, oh, I think you said it. They, were, yeah. they really are the white caps from, t- yeah. from 2011 yeah. um, with the early dismissal of a coach. I, 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 I think this has a lot to do with the Atlanta United effect of how they came in with an expansion team and everybody expects to be, and LAFC as well, forgot yep. about them. And a little bit New York. a big fan base, you're trying to please. Yeah, and a little bit New York City FC too, but mostly those two teams, that way they came into the league and they just blew off right, right away. So I think that has a little bit, there were, people are expecting big things right off the bat. And they, I mean, it hadn't been a horrible start. I mean, no. joking how they're similar to, to Whitecaps Light from 2011. Tater Torreson, he was sacked in our expansion season after 12 games. Cincy, though, wanted to go one better than us, so they got rid of Allen after 11. At Koch's sacking, Cincinnati were second bottom of the East with eight points and a record of two wins, seven defeats and two draws from their 11 matches. When we got rid of, of Tater, we had nine points with one win, six draws and five defeats. Didn't work for us. We couldn't turn it around that season. And I mean, <laughs> what, what, it's, it was, was meant that? to be so easy to well, turn around. Uh, well, the thing is with that one, that was more of a, 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 a technical director, a manager, whoever you want to call it, head office guy that really wanted that position of coach yeah. and he and he basically 
did everything he can to well sack the the current coach and got him out of there. Yeah, it's including saying things publicly in the media against the coaches and their and how they were choosing to go about certain things. So yeah, that was that was different. The one the the one thing that is. Uh, the one thing that stands out uh, also from this is uh, who else is there? Because watching the game the other day, was I was like, why did I know that voice? Who is that yelling? Who is that on the broadcast? Well, I know he wasn't raised to the – he wasn't the guy chosen to be elevated to the coach, but Pa Muduka. I'm like, mm. oh, that's who that is. I know that voice. It's Pa. Yeah, he was brought in as one of the assistants. So, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with him because obviously when a new coach comes in, they usually want their own technical team. Now, we'll get into for – the general manager, Jeff Berding, said about the sacking shortly. But, I mean, you were talking about the form perspective. They were on a five-game losing streak and they hadn't scored in any of those matches. If you're just looking at it just from results, and Berding says it's nothing to do with that, but if you're looking at it from results, did that justify it or did he need more time? No, you need more time. Because you'd lost Fernando Addy because of his off-the-field DUI incidents and stuff. Uh, yeah, I think it was not fair. Like, like I think so just in general, I think you, you need to be given time. You need to be given like a, a season because uh, it also just sets things up for not – it gives your club the reputation of not being willing to give a, a manager time. So I think well, it, when you look at how Alan got the job as well, slightly controversial circumstances right. – the, the the other thing I, I, I was going to say about the similarities is they also were a team that brought a lot of players from their pre-MLS era. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like 11 maybe, and that was very similar to what Vancouver did uh, in 2011 as well. And I know a couple of them were actual MLS players that they brought down to bring up, yeah. but uh, Vancouver did I mean, something like that too. Personally, I'm stunned that a team can have Darren Mattox playing for it and not scoring five games. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. And, and and Scooter? Yeah, he's not he's not the Scooter of, of old of one year that he was quite good. Oh, his I, I'm wondering what that ankle. What the Yeah, B- Birding though, the Cincinnati general manager. He's saying it wasn't about the on the pitch performances, <laughs> but it was the stuff that was happening off it. The post sacking press conference that he gave and he was doing a conference call as well for out of town media and I was working and I couldn't get on it and I so wish I had been because I only saw the press conference afterwards and I was like oh man I wish I'd been off that day to be on that call because so many questions were coming off this he didn't just throw Alan Koch under the bus he reversed over him a couple of times and then drove over him another couple of times and reversed back again he laid it on big time he wouldn't stop talking about culture at the club or maybe it was Culture Club. He's maybe a big boy George fan. I'm not sure. <laughs> Wait, are but you sure you're not talking about like the end of season press conference? It stuff? was again Whitecaps. Just keep going in Cincinnati. He mentioned in a 23 minute press conference. He said the word culture 18 times. It's nearly once a minute, and you've got to lie for the questions of reporters in amongst those 23 minutes as well. It was bizarre. Not far behind it, were him talking about environment and foundations and positive energy. It's like all the buzzwords. He even started talking about KPIs, which when you start talking about key performance indicators, but he said it as KPIs. The Audi he started index? losing me then. Is the Audi index he's talking about? Possibly. He said he gave <laughs> all the players KPIs. Stuff. The thing is... Not, seem- not, not KIAs? Not, or, not KFCs either. 
they were I'm, playing I'm, like they had had too much KFCs. From the way you're saying it, it kind of sounds like you tuned into the Whitecaps uh, post-season press conferences I, as I well. I think, just taking a leaf out of their book. Yeah. <laughs> they really, really copied the Whitecaps. Yeah, they really have. Yeah. Within the first minute of sitting down, now normally you would just get, I, I want to thank Alan Koch for all his time here. He, he got to that about a minute and a half in, but within the first minute, one of the first words out of his mouth were the team culture had deteriorated. <laughs> I think it deteriorated that fast. No foundations for success. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Talked about not getting the best from the players they had and that a new coach would bring a positive energy and a team approach indicating, I mean, you're reading between the lines, but they're massive lines. It was hard not to read them. Yeah. That Alan wasn't doing any of these things. In fact, it was quite passive-aggressive. But before I... I talk any more about it let's just play you I've, I've kind of put together three minutes from this 23 minutes just to give you a feel flavor of what it was like after a series of recent issues and a team culture that had deteriorated we determined that it's time to make a change uh, to return to a club centered focus to the team and as a result uh, we uh, dismissed Alan Koch as head coach uh, of FC Cincinnati uh, and have appointed Johan DeMay uh, to be the interim coach while we begin a worldwide search uh, for the next uh, head coach for FC Cincinnati. Uh, this decision is not uh, driven by recent game results themselves, but rather the underpinnings that have led to those results. Uh, we have not come close to maximizing the talent that we have in the dressing room this year, uh, nor have we seen a foundation being built that will set us up for success this year uh, and into next year. How long would you say is an appropriate time to expect a coach to be able to build that culture? Um, well, I, I guess I would offer this. Uh, we certainly think that there uh, was enough time here. And um, all I can offer is, as I noted, we're constantly evaluating uh, the foundation of the club, the culture in the club. Um, uh, we're in a, in a situation where we were troubled. We felt that the situa situation had deteriorated. We, uh, we were confident it was not going to change, and therefore uh, there was a result for there to be a change. Uh, but we believe in the quality of this group. Uh, we don't think that the, that the culture uh, has, been, uh, has been the best. Uh, we don't think the foundation has been there. We've not set them up for success. We've not maximized their ability. Uh, but we believe we can get those things right, and we can get back to getting good results uh, for this club and our city. Anyone in the workplace, whether it's here in the front office or you in your newsrooms uh, or players in a locker room, there's certain criteria that uh, that we that we look for, right? I mean, you you want a level of honesty, you want a level of trust, you 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 want a mutual respect, uh, you you want uh, hard work to be rewarded, you want uh, there to be accountability uh, for hard work. Those are just uh, basic things. You, you need a positive energy. You need a positive energy. I know you say you want to look forward, but backtracking. Where where did Alan, I guess, in these first 11 games get the culture wrong because it seemed like building off USL success obviously that's a different league um, being coach of the year you know really dream start to this season and then in the past eight nine games the the culture changed where did where did that go go wrong 
Yeah, no, it's 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 a fair question. Uh, I'm not going to go into details. Uh, I, I'm just going to offer. Um, you, when you're in a work environment and and the culture's great, you know it. Uh, and when you're in a work environment uh, that's not, you you know that too. Well then, I'll say I'll say that I think there's something going wrong in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Can can I just say this right away? Yes. Because this has to be said. Uh, again, very similar to Vancouver, the coach of your football club cannot be the one to lay the foundations of your club. And if you're blaming the coach for bad foundations of your club, you don't understand what you're doing or what you're supposed to be doing. Some elements of the culture, sure. But again, you as the the, 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 the I think culture starts at the top. And well, I think it also should involve who the city and the club are. And yeah. the, but. But you cannot blame that all on that one person. I'm sorry. Like, no, I agree like, with you. Like, I'm not saying Alan's perfect, but the cult, the no. culture thing is I can understand the the coach might have issues with, like like problems with dealing with culture or, or establishing it. But when you say foundations, yeah. it's the the coach is there to uh, interpret it, what the foundations is and to build the culture around the team itself, not the club, the team, the players. So he's. I don't know where he, he like, and the thing is, when he, weird, it just it was such a weird twenty-three minute ramble. And the thing is, the reporters, the reporters, when they gave the the couple questions that you put questions in there, there that yeah. when you put in there, he had no answer. No, he I had cut to, some of the questions out to keep it short as well, but the questions were good. And yeah, yeah there was long pauses because yeah. he didn't huh. really know what to but, say, so he just kept saying the same thing: culture, foundations, positive. And now, Alan, because I think he signed through twenty twenty. He had, yes, he'd signed so, a contract extension. So he's not going to obviously, he, I don't think he can speak on this as of yet. Probably not. Same with Carl Robinson can't speak on this until the contract is out. And I'm I'm trying to be impartial in this because I, I do class Alan as a friend. I go way back to yeah. about 2011, 2012 with him to the SFU days. So trying to put a neutral hat on here. It's hard when you listen to what he said there. Because he's, he's not directly saying it, but he's saying of all the things he looks for in a coach, which is why they've made the change. So if you read into what he's saying, he's saying Alan wasn't honest. <laughs> Alan wasn't getting the best out of players. Alan wasn't rewarding hard work. He wasn't respectful. All these things is what you're reading into him saying, because this new interim coach has got all that. To me, it sounds like some players were pissed off. Players have spoken out against Alan. It might be players that he's dropped. It might be players that feel that he's out of favour. All coaches go through that. Now, we don't know what's gone on, but we have known Alan from long enough. The Whitecaps 2 guys loved him. Yeah. Some clan guys didn't. Some did. It depended SFU if you clan were. Guys. SFU clan. If you're, yeah, because <laughs> with a southern accent like I that, like, I should, yeah, I don't I should probably, think, yeah. probably explain that for anyone listening outside of the lower mainland. <laughs> um, but some, some of them... Yeah, some didn't like Alan, but he was because he was a hard taskmaster and he dropped it's, him. And he sounded like, like he sounds like an MDS type coach, yeah. where he's going to rub people the wrong way because he's so blunt and honest with them. But he's he's got results. He did well, and he showed he can compete against MLS teams. So you have to wonder: Did he bring in all the players? Is this who he wanted? Were some of them forced upon them? Because if he's brought them in and they're not performing, it is on him. But 
you've just been told it's not because of the on-field performances. And he also said he didn't maximise the talent. Yeah, which so that tells himself me- said a couple of days before yeah. that he felt he was maximising the talent. Yeah. So a complete opposite yeah. message there. So that that tells me that the, I, the while I know when the expansion draft was happening, they were asking Allen about the players. But I don't think that uh, I, I, I from the way that all that went down and the, what both people are saying right now, that I think it is the GM that it was selecting the players for Allen. Maybe Allen obviously had a well, had a he had a, uh, a kind of a, a, a suggestions or or requests or whatever. But I think it was the, the. To be fair, there was we talked about this at the, as they, they were happening at the time. But there were some questions about the approach to the draft, strange the Nick Hagland yeah. uh, amount given for Nick Hagland, yeah. and I think there was one other player who people felt was overpaid for. Um, so, I, but again, were those were those? Out? I don't, I don't know how FC Cincinnati works. I don't know who's well, making the decisions. Something which but, I didn't include there. Berling said everything was the coach's decision. He has the final say, and it will always be that. Yeah, way. but I've heard that from other people before, yeah. and I knew it wasn't the truth. So, Kendall Waston was asked the next day, "Was there a culture issue at the club?" And he didn't say, "Sorry, have I just gone back to Vancouver <laughs> in November here?" Um, he said, "No, straight away." He's like, "No." Hmm. We should speak to Kendall about yeah, that. We should, he must think what what on earth has happened. I've, well, he tweeted it right away. He's like, "Okay, we have to be better." We uh, like, yeah. He Berding spoke highly of Kendall though in another part of there, saying that it, an experienced player and named Kendall Waston can be a leader in this team. So I don't know. Now you could say it's worked because Cincinnati got a two-one win on Saturday against Montreal. Yeah, but you, you sometimes get those bumps with new coaches. Well, yeah, that's what I was worried about for. For Colorado, it, it sounds like he'd lost the locker room. If you listen to what Berding said, it would be interesting if Alan can speak out on it. I will reach out to him. I'm pretty sure he, he isn't going to be not able gonna, to yeah. speak. But he wants to collect the money first. Yeah, <laughs> I will we'll see. Now, an interesting thing: Alan Hudson came out and said oh. that Colorado needed to, to spend more money. They weren't competing financially. Alan didn't use those exact words, no. but kind of basically said he needed better players to come in. To compete. Well, he said that teams. that they've only gone through one transfer window uh, to build this team. He needs another transfer window, maybe a third one, similar to what MDS has said in the past that they need they need to keep processing and bringing players in. I remember last week, uh, MD, uh, uh, Mark said that the uh, you know he doesn't uh, for the reason why he didn't upgrade or anything. He didn't want to do apples for oranges. He wanted to do app- apples, apples for, for chicken, chicken dinners or whatever. Yeah. Uh, which is another fantastic... I don't know how, how you're going to discern which quote to oh, use for the quote of I the year. I was saying to my wife today, I really wish I'd started writing all these down at the start of the season and brought out a book of uh, DeSantisms or something. Because yeah. it's like... He was going on about microwaving society and babies and stuff. Which afterwards, Har had said to me, did he just talk about microwaving babies? I went, no, I think... <laughs> there's, I don't think, I think there's, there's a few words in yeah, there. <laughs> But, yeah, we talked about Hudson. He came out and said, I need more money to compete. Well, you're not getting it, mate. You're, you're out the door. Well, he's getting it, just not to be well, the yeah, coach. He's, he's getting it to sit at home. So I, another chance that I had to when I spoke, sat down with, with Mark this week, I, I asked him about like coaches complaining about stuff like that publicly. Is it a recipe for disaster and a, a quick fire way to get yourself sacked? So he had some interesting comments on that. I really think it's a cultural thing. Okay, um, because in the soccer countries that I watch a lot, and maybe it's due to this a salary cap or a league that wants to be equal, I I I I never read an interview of the coach of Frosinone talking about a Juventus spends. 
But you know what he does? He coaches Frosinone. He does his best with Frosinone. I never heard an interview of the coach of Celta de Vigo talking about how Barcelona spends. Mm-hmm. I never t- listened to even Lille in France talking about how PSG spends. You don't hear that. If the first time I started hearing about how others or, or coaches talking about others that spend, it was here. And I, I wonder if it's something to do with a, a cap type of league. or Possibly. Because you don't hear. You could Google. You don't read an interview of the Palermo coaching. Oh, but Juventus, how they spend and us. It, that's why I say it's cultural. That's why I stay away from that. And, yeah. and, and my, my suggestion to every coach is you, you have to question when you say things like that how it's going to be perceived in the locker room. If I talk too much that I don't have a good enough group, well, for me to say as a coach that I want to become better and we want to be in the market to find better players, to improve what I have is one thing. For me to talk about it's not good enough what I have, it's not good. That's my view on it. In England... Some of the coaches talk about it a little bit. They do? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, it's... So this is my my opinion, okay? If I coach uh, a a, a Frosinone or or an Empoli in Italy and I want one day to coach a Juventus where I could spend a lot, well, I have to focus on doing very well with Empoli every day and maybe one day I could spend what Juventus spends. (laughs) So to, to, to waste energy in things that are not good, but it's a good point because it, 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 there is kind of a tendency, right, of coaches that speak like that don't put themselves in a good spot. You heard it here. Marta Santos to Juventus confirmed. <laughs> I, I mean, it's very true. Why waste energy complaining publicly when you know you're just going to piss the ownership off? Unless you want to get booted out. It's like Hudson doing that, he obviously felt he was under pressure. Is the best way to take some of the pressure off you to piss the owners off? Well, or or is it just he, he knows he's going to get fired, so he might as well yeah, get like, ahead of it and yeah. say, yeah, I didn't have the players here. They don't yeah, spend money. That's true. That's a frame it for him, your, frame it for your future. Yeah. to another job. But you wonder, when Burden comes out and says all this stuff about Alan Koch, but, how does that affect his future career prospects? Yeah. I'm sorry. If I'm Alan Koch, I play the bearding uh, uh, interview for my prospective new uh, you know, employee, employer, sorry, to show how much of an idiot this guy is. <laughs> yeah. he, he fired me after nine games. Yeah. I, I think if you look back at Robbo's time here, he, I don't think, ever publicly said this, that, or the other, but it was reading between the lines, yeah. right? Like. I've, we're, the, we're spending every penny we're allowed on the it, squad. Yeah. Uh, or when you compare w- w- our squad to this other squad, you can see the the differences in the yeah. difference makers and that kind of that kind of stuff. There's ways of doing it yeah. without being blunt, but yeah, no good can come of it. But talking of spending money, the White Cats didn't spend any before the transfer window closed. No new additions coming in. Others though were quite busy, and just looking at some of the ones in the West. We talked about this last week. The Timbers got their DP. Brian Fernandez came in. David Guzman left for Columbus. Joined Porter. Yeah. That yeah. that one that one really quickly. He he might be great for Portland. 
It's a little that one seems a little bit dicey. Like it could be another I Lucas Milano. I can't believe they spent that money. Well, because the, I forget what Mexican club he's at, but the Mexican club last. Akatsa? I think they paid like seven hundred thousand or something for him. And then yeah, he scored they, a boatload of goals yeah. in one year. And then they pay over ten. And million then they pay reportedly. Yeah, so you pay over like what is that? That's almost almost like one hundred fifty percent of what they like. It's great. It's not one hundred. It's, it's way more. more sorry, like, a thousand, a thousand yeah. five hundred percent. Whatever it it's. Like if it was a player over it's multiple years who done we done year, well in Mexico, we would be sitting at the front office. Have you lost your mind? Yeah. We did do this with Jarju way back when. It didn't work. <laughs> Forgot about him. <laughs> Most people have. But again, Mustafa. Let's see, let's see how he he fits in for Portland. LA Galaxy. They lost Romain Alessandrini. He's out to September with an injury, but they've boosted their attacking ranks with the addition of winger Fabio Alvarez on loan from. Argentine top flight side Atletico Tucumán. You just want to put Tucumán in there. Oh. TSS Rovers have signed a Whitecaps residency graduate, Nico Papo Kiriapopoulos. Wow. Which, Nico? Just call him Nico? Yeah, Papa, I was going oh. with. Or oh, Nico would have been better. Yeah. I, that, I was dreading him coming on as a sub. He came on as a late sub. I'm like, no. <laughs> I have to make this announcement today. But anyway. Seattle, they strengthened their back line, as we talked about. They reacquired Joven Jones, but you're saying he might be playing in a more advanced role? Well, he could be also, there could be, uh, uh, you said Brad Smith was the left back. Uh, he could be, maybe he's an option to go mm. back overseas. Oh, maybe. That, yeah. that, maybe they're just. Or maybe uh, they know someone's going to come in for him. Yeah, exactly. he has been highly touted. Yeah. They also, and I find this one surprising, they've added a centre-back, which isn't surprising. They've made him a DP, which kind of is. And he's not even a young DP. No. And he's from Ecuador. Which, nothing about Ecuador players and stuff, because I'm sure he's a good player. He has been capped for the national team just once. Xavier Arriaga. It just seems... You don't get a lot of Ecuadorian defensive DPs. No. Well, this, and, and the thing is, they have uh, Chad Marshall... Um, Torres, Torres he, he, uh, so one of them must be moving. Torres has got to be good now, yeah. and Ch- um, Barrett's Mar- close to retiring. Marshall mm-hmm. could lose a hip any second. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it, this is in line with what Garth Lagerway said: We're going to be bringing someone in. It's not going to be big and flashy, and we're not going to be spending crazy amount. And I mean, I've talked about this before. I had chats with Rob over the years where he'd looked at. Great goal scorers from non-league football or the fourth tier of England that had been banging the goals in. But at, even at those levels, with what they were getting paid, you'd have had to have made them a DP here. Yeah. So if you brought in a guy from, say, Lincoln City when they were in, in non-league in the national conference and you make him a DP, again, folk are like, you've lost your mind. You're making a non-league player a DP. Yeah. But that's just what salaries are like elsewhere in the world. Yeah. So moving from an unknown player in MLS to a known player mm. in MLS, another player returning to old haunts is Benny Failhaber, who is now back at Kansas City after moving from Colorado. <laughs> Correct? Yes. <laughs> He'd been with LAFC the season the before. season before. And then yeah. just joined Colorado nine in games, this offseason as a free agent. Nine games and, and two goals, I think, for Colorado. Yeah. It's, I felt he was a bit out of form. He'd been dropped recently with the new Colorado coach, but obviously they maybe knew this was in the works. So. Yeah, which is weird when you get dropped from a team that's performed the way Colorado has. Well, I know they scored a bunch of goals. They're trying but to kickstart their season. They're, yeah. They are scoring. They're just leaking like a sieve. A second 3-2 defeat. 
for them. A couple of minor, I know you don't talk about just the West, but the East, just go quickly. Uh, Justin Merrim went from Columbus mm, to yeah. Atlanta, who's coming here. Um, then Columbus picked up David Akam, uh, which oh, was right. huge for Philadelphia. And I He th- did nothing recently at Philly. I think Porter will use him to create space, more space for Iguain and for Zardis, I think. So I think those were the biggest deals in the East. Uh, nothing really else that uh, sparked. Oh, also, sorry, Chicago acquired right. a German keeper. So is David Elstead on the way out again, <laughs> out of there? Uh, because this guy seems like he's a Kenneth uh, Kronholm. He played uh, Bundesliga 2 a lot. Uh, he's, he's also naturalized, so he's American. He's not even international. So uh, that could be out for Elstead. Possibly not this year. They have five keepers right now on their roster. What do they? Yeah, because they got a. You, know, you need one for we, every finger. We they got four. <laughs> they got four, and, and, the then, and then they got the homegrown fourteen-year-old that they signed. Ah, oh, that's so, just for show. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, were the Whitecaps right not to make a a, a rash decision to sign someone and, and wait to get the people they need? Since we're starting to string some results together, I, I don't think you could have called it a rash decision. Decision when they've been sitting on. Millions of dollars that they... But they want to maybe wait. Right. By the signs of it, there's a striker and a number 10 right. being rumoured to be coming ultimately, into European clubs. Ultimately, you hope the squad planning uh, gets you know completed for 2019, halfway through the 2019 season in July. But I'm, I'm going to throw out Scott Sinclair again from Celtic yeah. as the guy I'd like to bring in. I, mean, I should have asked Mark about well, that. Yeah, I was, was going to say, what did MDS say yeah. when you told him? <laughs> it's wavelength time! And Zach Sistine. You'll be up bouncing about to this one. I think you'll like this. It's a song from 2016 by an English punk band called Knock Off. And it sums up, really, what this whole weekend has been about. Football, beer and punk rock. Well, I saw it all celebrate Football 
Knock off there, football, beer and punk rock. If that is up your street, check out Knock Off online. They actually do a nice t-shirt that says football, beer and punk rock. Don't want to spoil your Christmas presents this year. How come you're not wearing it? How come you're not wearing it? I haven't bought it myself yet. I'll do a bulk order. We'll do that. But it's been a great weekend for football, beer and punk rock. I don't drink, so I haven't had the beer. Obviously, I, I listen to punk rock constantly. And as I talked about, I've been watching non-stop football. And we'll, we'll start by talking about the CPL. Three games this weekend. Valor beat Halifax 1-0 on Saturday. Today, on CBC, a rare game that people could actually watch. If you could actually see through the cameras. Oh, yes. The weather <laughs> conditions were terrible. I had it on with the sound down because I was watching the Newport County game on a stream on my, on my laptop. But Cavalry beat Forge 2-1 enjoyable game in horrendous conditions and what I thought was a poor crowd but it was actually listed as 5,912 playing in that stadium makes the crowd smaller not look good yeah and they need to work on that from a perspective point of view if they're wanting to to make the league not look like no one's turning up to watch it it was a good game it's funny but at this point of the league to have one of the smaller grounds is an advantage it is winner Deep in stoppage time, 95th minute, Nico Piscotti kept Cavalry and beaten at, at the top of the table as well. And I haven't seen Martin Nash run that fast, even when he was on the pitch for the pit <laughs> He tore up the, the sideline to congratulate him and Tommy Wielden. So Cavalry looking good. Could be the Whitecaps opponents, of course, in the, the Voyagers Cup this year. We'll wait and see about that. Pacific and Edmonton. Drew 0-0 today. Wasn't a great game, but first away point for Pacific. It does feel that it's a really young team. Well, they've already hit the thousand minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In just over three games, that was crazy. It feels like they're missing some important pieces. I'm not just talking about Marcel de Jong's injury or Marcus Haber with his blistered toe. Infected blister. Infected blister. The centre-backs are having issues too. Yeah, Yeah, Starro. But... it just feels Charles. like they need a little bit more experience in there, I, I think. And it, it it's kind of caught out. Well, you're missing those three players. Plus, also, uh, Issei, I know, is still more getting fully up to pace. Yeah, uh, he hasn't he, played He was much. having some issues. I can't remember what it was at the beginning of the year. But um, those three players are huge. De Young, obviously. Haber, you know, I mean, he hasn't scored yet. And, and we had those posts in the second game. Um, and and Starro, who won them the first game, mm. both as a in, as a goal scorer in the first game, yeah, as and a great goal defensive, great, yeah, exactly. So those yeah, those are huge missing pieces, like and, uh, massive. Also, the Valor game, I think that was Marco Bustos' debut because he was just acquired yeah. this week. So he was acquired. He was playing I, in the I game for sure. Totally missed this. Oh, you missed this? Yeah. Oh. Bustos, yeah, he's, he's home. He's home. He's, he's coming home. home. I genuinely never knew it. Oh, what? wow. Oh, you, you I, must it's have. been a busy week. <laughs> I, I mean to, I got a, Nikki. Uh, I thought you Nikki, just, I just thought no. you forgot about the Nikki, who's a part of the uh, Red River Rising. I need to send her your song. I'll, I'll credit you fully. This week coming up, Pacific hosting their first ever Canadian Championship Voyagers Cup game against Cavalry FC, the first leg. Winner of that goes on to play Forge in the next round. Winner of that then goes on to play the Whitecaps. I'm pretty confident that the White Cats are going to Calgary. Because well, Cavalry's just looking really, really good just now. Yeah, as long as they don't take breaks. I'll be at that. Take one. their foot off the, the pedal. Look forward to catching up with Tommy Fielden. He always refers to me whenever he sees me as, all right, Scotsman. 
Oh, does he still listen to the show now that he's? I hope C- so. Hey, Tommy, <laughs> need to get you on soon because you're having a great start to this season. Someone else has had a great start to this season. TSS Rovers season opener today at home to Lane United. Depleted team because a number of their players were away playing in the provincial <laughs> cup final. Oh, is that, how, is that how that worked out? Yeah, the players were all given a choice what they wanted to do: play in the cup final, play for TSS. The Polisi brothers chose to to play for TSS. Great game from both of them. 2-0 win for TSS Rovers. Connor McMillan, brilliant goal. Watch it on YouTube. I've got the call for that with Alan Errington, as I said. Lovely turn, swivel, volley in the net. And then Gurman Jadge, who made his debut for TSS Rovers, had a fantastic s- season in college for Fraser Valley. On the pitch for just a couple of minutes. First touch, goal. Not going to get a much better debut than that. How Next is it, game how- is this Friday against Portland. So get out to Swan Guard for that one. Forget about the play on the pitch. How was the commentary? I thought it went well. Okay. It's only the fourth game I've ever done play-by-play for. So I'm still kind of learning my trade at that. You haven't got your special friend joining you yet, have you? Gideon is doing the play-by-play on Friday for the rest of the year. And then oh. I'll be back doing colour. Oh, okay. I'm still getting But you didn't have a special... Who was with you today? Alan Errington. Oh, right. Okay. Tell me all these stories that I can't repeat. <laughs> we should get Alan on because he is entertaining. For an Englishman, he's not bad. You might have to pre-tape that. (laughs) Yeah, and just cut lots of stuff out. Definitely won't do that live. Going to play a little bit of audio that I got from Will Cromack at TSS Training this week. Will has taken over the head coaching duties from Colin Elms this season. Colin's taking more of a backseat role. Also on the coaching side, they've got Alan Day, the former Whitecaps residency under-17 coach. He's taking training sessions with the team his weekend commitments kind of rule him out from being on the bench, but he hopes to be at a couple of the games. But watching him at training this week, fantastic stuff. He's really got the, the players bought into to what TSS are trying to do. I've been around this three years as a co-coach, and you know we do everything, as you know. Um, I think this group is... is uh, there's maybe some top end that is kind of not quite there but I think it's quite a bit more consistent you know there's no sort of gaps where all of a sudden a guy will be in there and you wonder why did we sign him um, I think we have quite a bit more uh, in the respect to if a guy goes in you know you can use examples of who, who's the best one to start it right back Chris Guerrero uh, or, or Eric DeGraff I mean that's a good problem to have as a coach yeah. um, difficult um, but when you play Friday against the Highlanders and then Sunday against Portland, uh, you play back-to-backs in Calgary, it's nice to have two guys that are um, 1A, 1B on any given day. So we have that a little bit over the park. I think we're lacking a little bit of depth in midfield, you know, centrally. Uh, certainly we're, we know a lot more about the league. We know a lot more about who we're up against. Uh, we know the uh, compete level that's required. Um, and we're a bit more organized. You know, I would say because we've learned... This game is a transition game in the USL. It's a turnover and in your net. It's a set piece. It's in your net, and vice versa. Mm. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm quietly happy. I think we'll be, um, I think we'll be in it. In the Northwest Division, as you know, is the most difficult division in the whole yeah. league. It's so unpredictable. Like Foothills have lost so many of the guys to Cavalry, but it looks like Cavalry's the guys that they haven't taken. They've sent to Foothills. So they can keep an eye on them. They seem to have gone quite young, but they've had an undefeated pre-season by the looks of it, and the 
they've had some good good results. Yeah, I think I mean, you know, it, you know that was purpose built. You know, that was a purpose built almost CPL team that we played against last yeah. year. Uh, eight overagers on the field. Um, I think that the Foothills, who are quietly being known as the Cavalry B. Um, and it's, it's a great, it's a great bridge, mm. right? The reality is, um, hey, we're not going to quite sign you. Go play there, and we can keep an eye on you. And then, you know, there's a there's a deal in the CPL now where anybody can be loaned um, throughout all the leagues. So they can just take them up and say, we're going to loan you. You can play a certain number of games. Um, I think that's great. I think it's great for guys like uh, Ali Gindo on our team and Pacific. I think it's great for the Polisi brothers in the sense that they might be able to play without losing scholarship. Yeah. Um, so there's there's some things there that I think that obviously when you're Calgary in the middle of the one pocket where those are your players and um, they're going to be difficult. There's going to be no flies on that team. I, I expect them to play similarly to how they played last year with some dynamic players and uh, we won't take them lightly by any stretch of imagination even if they've moved a bunch of guys on to the cavalry the the US teams they're always quite unpredictable you don't even know which yeah. players are going to make yeah. it over the border or, yeah. and stuff do you know what to expect from Seattle and Portland in particular well it's it's, it's interesting because Seattle's coach moved to uh, um, Tucson yeah. and took with him Lane's coach as his assistant yeah. uh, Lane I think will be more consistent in the sense that the coaches that have brought on are, are a little bit similar to me they've, they've been there already been around the group and mostly coaching the group um, Seattle I, I, I'm not quite sure to expect but I, the depth that they always they always reload uh, they always retool with guys from all over the place. Last year they had some guys, you know, Santiago Patino uh, was recommended to them by French agents. You know, they, they're always reload. So, again, you know, the Highlanders, I mean, if I look at them on a paper, they're, they're better, you know, again. And they took points off every team last year. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's no question in my mind the Timbers will be better. Uh, the Timbers were not as good as you'd expect them to be last year, but mostly because all their players ended up going pro, right? They, in the middle of the season, just left to go and play for Minnesota uh, in the MLS, to go play at USL level, to get pro contracts, and kind of what it's really all about. Yeah. So for us, yeah, it's unpredictable. I know they've got a bunch of Portland uh, guys, some Hispanic flair always. Lane and, Lane and Portland give us fits by the way that they can play. Um, and then, obviously, then you got to change your hat and go against Calgary and Seattle who come and there's no minute that they take off in any game. So, And then Highlanders depends on the players that they bring. But, yeah, we're going to be looking at five different styles of play, and, yeah. uh, and that's what makes this a great development opportunity for all these players, you know, to be prepared. Home games are stacked again at the front of the schedule. Yeah. Which I know is not ideal, but it, you kind of have to get off and running really quick. It's a 14-game season. You, you have no choice. I mean, we're in deep now because we've lost a bunch of guys to the Provincial Cup final. Um, and, you know, governing bodies do what governing bodies do, but it's an opportunity for people. Last year, we got out of the gates and brutally got skewered. But then we went seven in a row without, without losing. Um, and, you know, we're top of the division, top of the league for a bit. So I think the reality is... Um, yeah, you can afford one or two blips early, but man, you better be 
on the case right after because you can get in a hole and behind ASAP. So I hope that this, you know, having Adam out, uh, Adam Day that is as a coach, having uh, a number of um, uh, Desmond Takis played before at Charlotte, played pro in Edmonton and whatnot. I think the, the thing is, uh, you know, I've been around a while, so we've got lots of coaches that are there to support these guys and, and you know, three or four people that have been here three years now, ready to go. You know, they're ready, right? So that's them. Yeah. You know, we can only co-author this so many times until they got to go play. <laughs> and a robe and a robe and a robe and I'll go. A robe and a robe and a robe and I'll go. And a robe and a robe and a robe and I'll go. That was Will Cromack there talking before the game about some TSS stuff. Last bit of soccer action in the lower mainland we'll just talk about. It was the Provincial Cup final today. Stunning 4-1 win for CCP LFC United, the Surrey side. And the reason I say stunning win, they were 3-0 up in the first 15 minutes. I was touting what a good game this was going to be. Two goals from Caleb Caleb Clark. Superstar. How many goals has he got so far? Two Two in the final. Yeah. And yeah, CCB beat our friends at Reno's Tigers 4-1 in the end. Great game. Watch the replay on BC Soccer's Facebook page. Whew. A lot of stuff going on in BC. A lot of stuff going on around the world. And it's time now for BC Soccer Web Headlines. BC Soccer Web Headlines is brought to you in partnership with bcsoccerweb.com. Your one-stop site for national, local and international news, stories, links, everything you could want from the world of football. Make it part of your daily routine. Check out bcsoccerweb.com. What has been catching your beard this week, Steve? A few things here. Just let the music cut off. Um, So, uh, first of all, uh, FIFA has rejected Chelsea's appeal against their one-year transfer ban. Um, It was upheld. uh, It was basically imposed in February because Chelsea uh, was found for breaking youth transfer rules. Uh, but they did add that Chelsea will be allowed to register players under the age of 16, as long as they're not breaking any more rules. Uh, Chelsea has said they will challenge the decision at the court of our rotation for sport. So we'll see what happens there. Mm. And I guess if we're talking about Chelsea, we do have to talk about the dramatic weekend oh, yeah. week that it was in, in European football. Disappointing for me that English teams are in both the finals, but I've got to put my hats off to, to Tottenham and Liverpool in particular. That was Great amazing, comebacks. Yeah. amazing comebacks. I was just telling you guys, but yeah, that watching that Eintracht versus Chelsea uh, shootout was traumatic for me because it was yeah. almost exactly the same as how Bayern lost to Chelsea in a shootout in 2012. Liverpool's comeback, though, was stunning. And oh, yeah. The fact that they knew that Barcelona were going to moan at the corner kick and that's what yeah. the winning goal, that's just tremendous. And then that's I, where you do your but, research. But the Tottenham one, the, the, that was like last second. Oh, man. right oh, at the yeah. death. The, 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 I f- so felt for well, Ajax watching that. You, I was just like, I was just like, yeah, I was like, they're they're, they're fans. The way they were singing, like it was the whole stadium, and, and it, it was just like died. Yeah, oh, and, then, and then the Ajax players just collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. They had nothing left after that point. Did you see? I felt so sorry. Did you watch when Pochettino went out at uh, way after everything, and he brought his like his uh, backroom staff on? And they oh, celebrated, no. and then he let a Viking clap. And like the thing is, I don't like Liverpool. I don't like Tottenham. Yeah, but I really like Klopp. And I really like Pochettino. Uh, yeah, I They're would be fairly similar nice, to those perspectives. Yeah. Two nice, Klopp, nice coaches. Klopp is pretty great. Klopp, in particular, deserves 
something Klopp, after what's happened with him this year. Klopp is one of the prime examples of how Bayern doesn't get everything right because I forget wh- wh- which one it, wh- which one was backing which one, but back in the day, Rumenega and Hunus, one was backing Bayern to hire Klopp, and the other was backing Jurgen Klinsmann. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> So speaking of U.S. soccer, the way the Klinsman mentioned nice there. Nice segue. U.S. soccer has filed a response to the lawsuit, lawsuit filed by the women's team. They're formally denying the allegations of gender discrimination made by the team. Uh, the 28 members of the current women's pool filed a lawsuit back in March alleging that institutionalized gender discrimination that includes unequal pay with their counterparts on the men's national team. Now, what the association is saying is the difference in pay between the women and women, sorry, the men and women's teams were not based on gender, but the difference in the aggregated revenue generated by the different teams and or other factor other than sex. So the basic, but what I, we talked about this then too, the world, the men's world cup, whether the men are in it or not, generates way more money than the women's team. So, like for example, rights and everything like that. So, I think that's probably what they're where they're going to go with um, I, attendance. They're both attended the same. So, if you got ticket revenue, it's probably similar. TV uh, revenue from this, I think, is probably similar ratings wise. Uh, but but do you think the the men would might get more revenue money, even if the ratings are similar? I mean, uh, let's be honest. Way, way, way more folk watch the men's World Cup around the world. And that's, the that's the thing. That's the yeah. big difference. Yeah. And that's, that's what generates. That's the what I'm saying. Nationally, interest. Uh, the interest in the men's team and the women's team they're probably equal. They're not very much different. Football's not like normal employment. No. Where no. if you're in a workplace in an office, yeah. men and women get paid the same as they should. Sport is so different because there's so many other factors yeah. involved. You've it's, got players on the same team that are similar age or whatever, and you've seen it in the white caps. The vast differences in yeah. So in the pay. you're right. See, at the time this was this is what we said. It needs to be based on this kind of thing. So the the USSF has said this is what we're basing on it. So now they'll just need to prove that. Yeah, they need to prove it. Yeah. And also they they said and if that, they can't, then they're in big trouble. They, they also have a binding uh, collective bargaining agreement that was uh, negotiated back in 2017. That's another reason why they say there is a gap because of the the agreement that was made at that time. Uh, next bit of story. Uh, concerning the Chicago Fire, uh, which the Whitecaps just visited recently, they're saying uh, the Bridgeview, the village of Bridgeview, are saying the Chicago Fire will pay $65 million in a proposed deal to leave SeatGeek Stadium. The reported deal, um, the, the Chicago Fire has been looking to return to Soldier Field. That's what the reports are. They would pay the $10 million up front. $5 million for a youth soccer facility, and the remaining balance would be paid over the next 15 years. As of right now, Chicago has a lease agreement with that stadium until 2036. <laughs> there's, just, there's just so many crazy things in yeah, that story. The, One, signing a lease for 2036, then deciding you don't deal. want to be there. I mean, taking Colorado's, like... Uh, one of their international spots until like 2036 or whatever Vancouver did. That was brilliant. Yeah. This seems a little bit crazy. 65 million. To get out of the deal. Like how much are they losing to begin with? You could probably get messy for that <laughs> just for a season and then you'd fill Bridgeview Stadium. Multiple times. Yeah, win the World Cup probably with him and Schweinsteiger together. <laughs> no, it, it's a, it is a crazy story. And here's the thing. I, I, I've been, I've never been to Bridgeview, but I've been to a game at Soldier Field and it's like, it's probably a hot, like it's so it's huge. Em- yeah, it's, it's gonna look empty. When yeah, it's gonna be crazy. See, I I knew they were looking 
to move away, but I thought it was going to be to a to proper their own ground, stadium. Yeah. When, I, when I saw but how can you, Soldier Field, I'm like, what? That, that, those are the reports. Michael, how can you build your own stadium when you're paying $65 million to the village of Bridgeview? Where have they got $65 million from over these next 15 yeah. years? It's, as well? it's sold, crazy. sold a lot of Schweinsteiger kits, I Maybe. guess. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so, uh, news a little bit closer to CPL. Cavalry Soccer Club scrambles to improve fans' access to Spruce Meadows. Uh, they are now apparently four new places to enter the grounds, which I think you were told there was only one at that time you and you showed up there. Well, the, the, to the main parking lot that's closest to the stadium, yeah. there's only one. And the new facility <laughs> will be open to two hours before the game on Wednesday, which is 7 p.m. Uh, they're also offering free shuttles from the Somerset Bridlewood Sea Train, Sweet. which is uh, bringing fans from this facility on the southern edge of, of uh, the town. That's good to hear. I, it's, it's good to hear if we're going there in July. There's there the train. The I don't know if it is the sea train I'm thinking of, but the train in uh, in Calgary is not actually too. I mean, it's not crazy elaborate, but it's, it's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, I love me this sea train. Uh, final news, big news. Uh, Canadian U17s have qualified for the World Cup via a penalty kick shootout. Brazil, uh, here we come. Win over Costa Rica. Take that, Ticos. Take that, Kendall Waston. <laughs> they defeated uh, them 4-3 on PKs uh, after 1-1 during the full 120 minutes. They will be playing the U.S. in the semis, uh, which I think they were leading to. They scored. They were leading to nothing, but then gave up three goals in the second half to lose them in round robin play. Who cares now? We're yeah. going to Brazil. First trip to the World Cup for the team since uh, 2013. First trip to Brazil as well for the AFTN crew. I'll is that, treat you. <laughs> is that when? Uh, is that when uh, Q scored? Is that the one? I can't remember. Okay, that, that, that I don't remember. But a White Cast player, uh, Gianfranco Facinari, uh, with the winning spot kick. And and there's and that. And, and, it, and it, the thing is, if you saw that, I don't know if you guys saw the actual winning goal. He to- the, the it was a slow roller into the net. Because like Ali like Adnan? No, like this is like actually rolled. Like, Didn't ask Ali about his penalty. I wanted to keep him on on good terms. So, but but because he because he told me the goalkeeper just jumped off his line and went the other way completely. So he just basically just it was almost like a troll kick into the net because he just like sauntered it in. Anyway, that is it for this week's show. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me at uh, Whitecapsbeat on Twitter. For me, it's at Zachary M, and I'm part of the Movement Curve Collective. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Follow me on Instagram at AFTN Soccer. Give us a follow as well on YouTube, AFTN Canada. We'll be back next Sunday at our usual time of 11 o'clock. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Enjoy the edited version of this podcast. <laughs> and more the caps. Go into your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.